Hello, everybody, and welcome to the MinMax Show, a place about games, friends, and getting better. Thank you for being here. I'm Ben Hansen. I'm joined by Joe Juba once again. Yes, hello. Welcome, sir. We're joined by Kelsey Lewin. Welcome, Kelsey. Hi, thank you for having me. Yeah, it feels weird to like introduce the contributors, but I guess we should probably like reiterate things. Like co-director of the Video Game History Foundation, so don't be alarmed throughout this entire episode when Kelsey will not stop talking about actually according to history or whatever thing you got. Yeah, that's say. me. I um <laughs> I like adjust my glasses and everything too, and I'm like, well actually That's right, that's right. Uh, we're also joined by Sarah Pazorski. Hello. Welcome, Sarah. Uh, on this episode of the podcast, we're gonna Hey, wind back the clock. We're going to talk about E3, the glorious convention that probably will never come back in any way. But Sarah, stick with me, yeah. Sarah. We're talking E3. It's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. Uh, and then we have plenty of questions from the community about E3, all the fun stuff. And then uh, we're going to talk about Sarah's um, freaky duo of early access games, V Rising, which is about vampires and Little Witch in the Woods. So... Heads up for anybody, if you're scared easily, tune out for that section, check out the timestamps below, everybody. Uh, then Leo Vader's going to be joining us to talk about Sniper Elite 5, uh, we're going to talk about Multiverses, and I think I'm going to talk to Leo about Roller Champions from Ubisoft, we'll see how it goes. Uh, and then back after the show, we have plenty more community questions. Um, yeah, Sarah, how would you describe the making of this podcast? Like, in Monday's meeting, we're talking about a bunch of different options, and then Kyle the was like... The making of this podcast, we just kind of... Pick whatever sounds the least bad for the week. Right. That's We're about like, right. This is better than these other ideas that we've had. And I think Kyle kind of spun it just for saying, let's just tell old E3 stories. I can't be on it, but I want everyone else just to tell old E3 stories. Yeah, that's stories. very much Kyle. He's like, I can't be on this podcast, but I think you guys should do this. Right, right. And then I'll sit back and enjoy it. So we're going to go back and talk about some E3 wonderful tales. Um Kelsey, I am curious about your E3 experience. I've been to E3 with Joe. I think I've talked to Sarah about E3 a little bit, but like, how many have you been to? What is What was your perspective on that whole show? I've been to four, um, and I'm thankful that I was able to go to a handful of them before. I, I mean, are we calling it? Are, are we calling it dead right now? Like here on this podcast? I mean, is it just if I think it'll come back in some form? Maybe as some weird throwback thing, but would anybody want to put money that there will be another E3 that feels like an E3 of even like 2019? Oh, that's okay. You're putting caveats though. You're right. Like you're right. It, it's never gonna feel like it used to feel, but I don't. I wouldn't put money. I wouldn't put money on it coming back. But I also don't know that I'd be like, no, definitively, hundred percent, it's never coming back. Right. Right. Who knows? Um, using the past tense for it. I, Anyways, I didn't even answer your question. So yeah, I've been to, I've been to four, um, and I went as I, I technically went as media three of those four times. Um, I'm not really. I was just like a big enough YouTuber at the time that I could get my media pass, which really? um, you do for the free lunch. By the way, that was my reason for going as media and not as like my real job. There was uh, a free lunch. There's a free lunch for media. So excuse me. Yeah. yeah, you get a lounge. There's a lounge. I mean, it's not like a good lunch. It's just like a sandwich and some chips. But like, you know, I, I wasn't making a lot of money at the time. Like, it's, Hang on. I already have to travel to L.A., pay for this expensive hotel. Hang on, you're, you're blowing our lunch. minds because we were like clawing our way through the hordes to get a five out of ten pizza for lunch every day. What are you talking about? There's a free lunch. Did we There's have, a media room. Are you guys serious? No one knew about the media room? I, I don't think so. <laughs> I would have loved a sandwich and chips. That sounds oh. amazing. Okay, you guys were doing you guys were doing like actual in the trenches difficult E three job. I was trenches. like, I'm gonna play some games. Yeah, that so, does sound pretty good. Yeah, uh, we yeah, just there had, was a media room. We and had the it had, weird like, situation. Wi-Fi. Oh god, this sounds great. We had the, like the rough spot of we had like 
there was a Game Informer booth that was in one of like the back side halls and whatnot. So we had like a special badge to get back there and all that stuff. But it's one of those things, and I was always confused about it. But it's like, okay, in order to feed everybody, remember this, Joe? It's like we can get sandwiches for you, but it's going to cost. $2,600 or something ridiculous to get a yeah. plate full of sandwiches. I remember they arrived and they were covered in flies. <laughs> That's my E3 eating experience. Yeah, getting getting the like the convention catered lunch was expensive and terrible. So I think there most was literally of the... a free media lunch. Guys. All right, I like, can't there, hear about this was, anymore. I, I don't know if I believe it. That. No. Every because, year. Like, <laughs> the convention center is in the worst location for food. Just the worst. Like I tried, yeah. the, I tried to go to a nice lunch. I Ubered like five minutes away, like a block or two away from the convention center. I left the restaurant, looked up. It's the Cecil Hotel. I was like, that water tower looks familiar. Oh, yeah. Someone died in it. <laughs> hey, you'll take it. Any port in a storm. You got to just mow down on some mm-hmm. death water. Uh, so what 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 uh, is going on there, Kelsey? So you just wandered the show floor just as a YouTuber? I mean, were you focused on history for this period or is it just a matter of like playing the fun um, stuff and that's about it? I, no, I, I mean, I did some like, you know, scouting, I guess is the best way to put it, where it'd be like if there was someone I felt like I could talk to and like kind of uh, introduce myself and like what the foundation does, I would do that. Um, but no, I would I would just kind of like book appointments for things I wanted to play. It was awesome. That um, that's not that's not the real E three experience uh, to any listeners. That's uh, that's the cheating E three experience. But uh, <laughs> you know they they didn't really understand. I don't think they really understood like YouTubers and podcasters and that sort of thing. They just right. like knew that was also like this emerging media type. And so like Minmax is like a very legit version of that. And I was just like, no, I have enough subscribers to qualify, and I would like to go to E three. So. <laughs> done and done. So what what years were you there then? Uh 2016, 17, 18, 19. Okay, that's awesome. Yeah. Uh Owen McCarter wrote in uh and asked, "Hey, what gamer demo had the most absurd line at E3?" Could mean the Breath length of the wild. Oof. Yeah, Breath of the Wild was up there. That was 2016 then it must have been when they had the whole thing decorated with Breath of the Wild style. And that was the one where they had like they had like the cooking station, so it was like giant ingredients that would like move and gyrate and stuff. Um, it's always a Nintendo stuff. Like I was thinking Mario Odyssey um, because I just went back and watched a bunch of, God, I went down a weird memory lane thing, but I watched a lot of Game Informer's old video tours of E3 throughout the years. And then I also watched um, mandatory updates and Huber syndromes and all that from game trailers and easy allies of those tours. And like the line for Mario Odyssey, I forgot was just bananas, especially like anything in that, post 2017 era when it opened the door to the public then it was just the nintendo stuff was wrapping around like six ways around the bathroom back area it was just chaos how many years did have you guys all gone just for for context here because like i can only go back to 2016 for lines i remember but yeah 2011 was my first and then i went to everyone after that so 2019 i guess would have been the last one there but joe i'm very curious about you yeah, my first one was 2004, and wow. I Good went. E3. <laughs> yeah. Reggie's debut, well, like, yeah. For a viewer, the, that's like the DS announcement year and everything, right? Yeah. Oh, was it? Yep. Yeah, that that was the that was the Reggie Fizeme grand 
oh, debut. Yeah, I, that I remember. <laughs> my first year as Reggie's big debut because that was the year that Nintendo showed the uh, Twilight Princess trailer as their like one more thing, right? And that there were and that like people in the crowd were like literally crying. They were so overcome with emotion by that uh, by that trailer. Were you in but, that crowd, Joe? Mm-hmm. And did yep. you have your arms fully folded as you looked to your left and right and mocked other people? Or what was your attitude there? I don't know. I mean, because it was my first E3 and I'd really only been at GI for like, oh, what? Like five months or so at that point. A lot of this stuff was still just like very new and wondrous to me, you know? So I was probably just like the little, the little wide-eyed nugget in the crowd being like, oh, wow, there's a... That's Miyamoto and being very impressed by the whole thing. Yeah, but, totally. Um, yeah. So like, I, especially that first year, I was really swept up in just the coolness of like, oh, my God, this is my job. And there's oh, there's something an important distinction for me anyway that I make with E3s, because there were many years that I covered E3 as a as a print journalist. Right. Like there were right. Game Informer sort of had a, a distinct division between its print and online side. Uh, and then, you know, in later years, what was that around 2009 or 2010, we, um, kind of merged into a single, you know, the single staff covering both channels. But prior to that covering E3 as print was amazing because you didn't have to do any actual work at the show, right? Like, <laughs> That's like ridiculous. I, I could live the life Kelsey was talking about, right? Where it's like make appointments for thing I, things I want to play, things I want to see, do a bunch of interviews, uh, go to parties at night. And then when you get home, you do your writing, you do your transcribing. I mean, you're taking notes while you're there, but the real bulk of the work happens. And it's like a very intense, like three days once you get home. But you can do it. You could do it all then. But then, you know, once things switched over to the sort of hybrid approach, it's like, go to an appointment, come back to the booth, write your preview about it, then go off to your next appointment kind of kind of thing. Yeah. Well, I feel like you and, you know, Miller, a lot of the old timers uh, towards the end there of E3, a lot of you were like kind of, it seemed eager to bow out and be like, I don't really want to go this year. I'll be on the home crew, which always blew my mind. Like, look, it's fun to do reaction videos and stuff from the Game Informer studio, but like, you're turning down a free trip to E3? It's bananas. Uh, for me, it was more like, I wouldn't say I was eager to stay home. I think given the option to go to E3 or not go to E3, I would have wanted to go, but like, someone had to do it. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and it's like, for me anyway, I felt that it was like I had been by the time I started staying home, I think maybe like 2014, I stayed home from like four of them between or three or four between like 2014 and 2018. I did go to 2019. That was my last one. Oh, okay. Um, but like, the, like someone, someone has to do it. And I had already done so many at that point that like, why would I want to deprive like, like, Brian Shea of his opportunity to go to E3 because I'm like pulling the seniority card, you know? Right, right. So, oh, just the yeah. seeing Brian Shea, the frown he would have put on his face, it would have been heartbreaking, like a little puppy dog with beautiful, perfect hair, but a little puppy dog, no doubt about it. Yeah. Uh, and Sarah, you were like actually working. You were on the flip side of this whole thing. Yeah, my E3 experience was a little unconventional because I my first E3 was 2018, 
when I was working at Gung Ho as a community manager and we were launching Ninjala. That's right. And it was going to be in the Nintendo Direct and we had a huge booth for it. We had a huge booth for it right inside the main doors, right next to Nintendo. Um, it was wild. I got to see the E3 show floor the day before E3 opened. So all you see is like these heavy black curtains yeah. over everybody's booths. And it's like, if they catch you with a phone out, like you will be tackled and removed. Like you could see everything like it. That part was awesome. Uh, but then I actually had to work from like 8 a.m. to 10 p.m. at that E3 booth. And I didn't see the sun for three days <laughs> because essentially what you had to do is it was kind of a all hands on deck manning the game so each one of us had a station with the game and then people would come through the line and we would give them like a spiel about how to play the game the issue was it wasn't a simple game it was a battle royale so i had like it had it was like a three minute spiel for each and every person who came up on how to play that game from 9 a.m to 7 p.m i got two 30 minute breaks Ugh. And I didn't really get to yeah, see that a lot. Exhausting. I you had to stand the entire time. Like the it was. I was like, this is the E three of my dreams. And then I would just like go to the bathroom and like have a moment where I was like, this is my job. <laughs> As I've been standing for eight hours, and then we also had the infamous Ninjala bats, which were inflatable. We all remember bats that them. Had to I do remember these. <laughs> yeah, if you look at any picture from E3 2018, you can like I spy spot a Ninjala bat. These things had to be blown up in three separate locations. We had three air compressors. One would break, and we would all sit there before the show and after the show. So I didn't get to go to any parties because I would be sitting on the floor blowing up these bats for oh, hours, God. hours. And and the E3, E3 hated us. We had to put a sticker on it saying they weren't weapons. <laughs> why don't you just make people blow them up themselves? Like, why don't you just hand them the then they wouldn't look good. One? Like, the issue was, like, our marketer was so strict. He was like, people have to see these bats. They need they to have bats in the game. So they come to our booth, but the the funniest thing was that was the year that Nintendo did Super Smash Ultimate, like the Smash Bros. Ultimate game was coming out on Switch. Right. When I tell you, we were right in front of the doors. I was standing at my booth, little eager, like standing with my little Ninjala shirt on by my game station. The, it looked like a zombie apocalypse because there were people just like on the doors, like, let oh, us in, God. let us in. And then the doors opened and it looked and people just Black Friday sprinted straight to the Nintendo booth, straight to the Nintendo. Nobody was there for anything else in that convention hall, straight to the Nintendo booth. For them. We were just watching people like it looked like an apocalypse. People were jumping over things. Yeah. This is my experience in 2016, too, which was the year before they opened it up to the public. And because like that, I get because um, that happens at like PAX and stuff, too. And mm -hmm. I've been going to PAX for forever. But um, like in 2016, the thing that struck me the most, I was so excited to be at E3. My first one, I was taking it very seriously. I mm -hmm. was trying to be like, you know, like like I, I dressed nice and everything. I was like, I am a professional in the video game industry and this is my dream. And the doors opened and I saw, you know, presumably every single person there is industry. So I'm like, we're all professionals here. The doors open mm -hmm. and there mm -hmm. is a mad, like you said, Black Friday sprint to the Breath of the Wild booth. And I was just like, what is 
What? What is happening? I thought... Why is no one being chilled? People being trampled, asking for help. Yeah, it's like, no, no, no. It was, you know, it's all professionals, but there's there's a big degree, you know, there's a, it's a wide spectrum of professionals. I mean, if it's like, ah, YouTubers, come on in or whatever. But Joe, I mean, even back in the day when it was even more select, was it still chaos on that first day? Yeah. After, I mean, not just the first day, every day. Yeah. Every day when the, when the doors open, um, you'd have that exact thing, that exact thing, that crowd running for the Nintendo booth in, in the hopes that they could get their... <laughs> get it a l- wait shorter than an hour in, in the line, right? And then, I, because yeah, I mean, like like you're saying, there are people there that are, like, like you talk about a spectrum of, in, of industry professionals, there are some folks who actually have like a lot of work they need to get done related to it. And then there are people who like qualify to go and they think it's fun and they decide to go like Kelsey did. And that's like nothing against that. That's, that that's fine. That's just a different like that just creates some, you know, some diversity of purpose within the crowd, I think, that's a little different. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. I love the idea, Sarah, of like getting to see the show floor before it opens. Because mm-hmm. we had like a game informer booth in that back, we had the pass, so we could tour the show floor. So it was a little bit like, all right, a little sneaky reconnaissance mm-hmm. here. We're not gonna write like news stories quiet. about it. Yeah. It's silent because the curtains are very heavy theater curtains. Or also you could just see people like if you go a couple days early, actually like building the booths and stuff, yeah. which is really cool to see a bunch of forklifts all over the place. I remember like, you know, garden warfare that Stuff was everywhere, like all the signs and stuff before that was announced. There's just a lot of fun instances of like, wait a minute, what game are they trying to hide under this sign where they put like tape yeah, up like over it to try and hide Yeah, you're like trying to like it? crawl under the curtain like what you got in there. <laughs> yeah, totally. Here's my story about that though, is that so we would often have to get there early because we'd be covering like the press conferences that happen in the days before the show floor proper opens. Right. And... The problem with that is that the Game Informer booth is there on the floor. We have like that's where we're planning to set up and like do our do our coverage, actually like writing the stories and oh, God, you know yeah. getting those posted. But the problem is it's not quiet in those in a few days beforehand. And th- so there's just all of these absurd construction sounds happening as you're like so I, I remember seeing like <laughs> us being in the booth, like holding our head our headphones to our yeah. heads and like concentrating and trying to hear over the sound of like these drills and wrenches and all kinds of electronic equipment going off as all these booths around us are getting assembled you know it was the worst every year it was just chaos because like okay maybe we can do this one from the hotel no the internet will suck the internet is at least i guess stable here if it's going to cost a lot of money and now we need to spend more money to get speakers that can drown out the sound of basically a building being constructed around us so we can try and write these stupid news stories and because the because the press conferences can happen can like run late in the evening sometimes yeah. you have security knocking on the door trying to yes. clear you out in the middle of like a Sony press conference and you're like no 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 just give just give us 45 minutes here <laughs> but that booth yeah. was totally worth it cuz i forget what year it was um but there was one year where there was just a knock on that little back booth and it opened as this guy and he's like hey sorry to do this to you guys um i don't know who from gameformer is back here but like um, Tony Hawk needs a place to charge his phone for a while. Could he just come and hang out with you guys? I was like, are you kidding me? And he's like, I just, I don't want him to get mobbed by everybody. So if he could just hide in your booth. And I was like, 
oh my god yes absolutely and he must have been when he was promoting tony hawk's pro skater 5 and so then just like there were like three of us in this room just like working i was editing video and stuff and then tony hawk's was like hey how's it going guys and just sat down and charged his phone it was there for like an hour this was a surreal hour of working in my life where like directly across the table from me as i'm editing videos just tony hawk looking at his phone um, and I remember my favorite moment then was Jim Riley, former Game Informer news guy. He came by the Game Informer booth to say hi. And he's a very, how would you describe him, Joe? There's so many words. He, he, he's got a bit of a deadpan delivery. Yes, yes, that's exactly yeah. right. And he opened the door to our booth and he's like, oh, Ben Hansen, Jeff Cork, Tony Hawk. Like, you did not, did not <laughs> give a read. I was like, really? Tony Hawk's not giving you a moment of pause and he's just hanging out with us? It was, it was very nice. And then Tony Hawk took a picture with us. So, saint in my eyes. Um, let's see. Marriott Player says, hey, cohorts, uh, what was your favorite thing you saw at E3 that never came out? I mean, for me, the the classic example of this is Star Wars 1313. That's, right, yes. that, that's the one that seemed like it was the most far along that had the most the most possibility of being a real game that did that got canceled as opposed to something like scale bound that you know seemed like sure. it was in a very like proto phase more proto phase anyways so, yeah yeah that's that's my big one i was really excited about star wars 1313 did you no, go that to? That was going to be my answer, though. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh no, that hey, that's a good one too. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if this one even counts, but technically, um, I remember it, you know, because it was my first E3, and it was 2011, and at the PlayStation press conference, then that was the year that Ken Levine came on stage to show or to announce Bioshock for the Vita, which was such a big deal. And I don't even think did he even have a logo? I think he just like explained that like this is going to be an original Bioshock game. Everybody run out and buy a Vita right now for a Bioshock game. And it's got nope, never a, a whisper about that ever again. God, those oh, I really forgot about that. Yeah. There were whispers about, hey, what happened to that Bioshock <laughs> game? And Ken Levine, why did you lie to us about that <laughs> yeah. Bioshock game? Yeah, is Ken kind of a liar? What's going on here? Um, and this is also like a minor one, but um, that was also the year that the Wii U was revealed. Um, and so technically that version of the Wii U didn't come out. Cause if you remember the original version of the th of the Wii U, it kind of had like, instead of the analog sticks, it kind of had like the 3DS circle pad slider mm. thingies instead. So like getting to play with those was cool. And they had like, you know, a tech demo of like a bird flying around and a bunch of little fun stuff there for the big debut of the, uh, the debut of the Wii U. Uh, let's see, uh, Matt writes in and asks, is there a specific E3 where you saw the industry make a noticeable leap in quality or technology? For me, I go back, I go back to E3 2005, uh, which, like I said, I was still, maybe this is still my wide eyed. This is only my second one. So it was you know, still all maybe new to me, but like that was the year that the PlayStation three was officially unveiled. The 360 had, I think, been unveiled already, but it was more like the hype train for it was kind of in motion already. That was the year Nintendo revealed the revolution at their press conference. Wow. And that's just on the press conference side. But then the games on the show floor, I made a note of it here. Uh, games on the show floor that year included uh, Spore, Gears of War, Twilight Princess, and The Elder Scrolls Four. Jeez. So uh, anyway, so for me, that was a big, that was a big, like, and, and well, there was also still in an era, I think that transition from the PS2 to PS3 or Xbox to 
360 era was still like the jump in graphics was still so significant in a generational sense that it was a lot easier to sort of see the visual improvements in in a much more like tangible way, I think. Yeah, totally. It is. There's something about that excitement of an E3 before the big shift in the generations, right? Like for me, it was 2012 because the new consoles came out 2013, but 2012 was the year that was Watch Dogs and Star Wars 1313 and a lot of that, hey, check out this game that looks better than anything you could imagine. It's running on high-end PC hardware, winky winky. I wonder where it's going to go. Like before anything had been announced about the next gen, there's always that fun song and dance. Uh, so. Oh, I'd forgotten about that. With Star Wars 1313, they never announced that that was going to be like a, a console game. It was always like, this is high-end PC hardware. Yeah. Right, right. Oh, yeah, that was a real thing at that last at that last transition, that last generation transition there. there was Everyone was saying, high-end PCs at consoles TBA. Right, right. Or even yeah. I remember we did like the Thief cover story for that Thief reboot that no one has ever talked about since it came out. And that was a big one where it's like, okay, what's yeah. it going to come to? Uh, just high-end PCs, winky, winky. But I remember like talking so much like PR about just how do we word this? How do we not look like assholes? We know what's going on here. Just say it. Yeah. Uh, That's a tricky spot. Uh, James Pies, Pies? I don't know, wrote in saying, simple question. What was the biggest surprise E3 announcement while any of you were actually in attendance? The PS4 price tag in 2013? I wasn't at, I was at that E3, but wasn't at that press conference. But that, that was... The biggest. Um, the non-existent Beyond Good and Evil 2 or Metroid Prime 4 reveals in 2017. I only went to press conferences in 2011 when I was filming them or streaming them, which was a whole other disaster. That really sucked. Like in one day, <laughs> in one day, lugging around all that equipment to try and stream it, not for commentary or anything, just like stream the raw thing and trying to like every different publisher had a different tech setup for how the streaming would work. So you had to have all these cables and all these different interfaces just to try and get it working. So you're scrambling to get all the way across town for like Ubisoft's press conference, trying to figure out, okay, they have SDI out. Okay, so that's inputting at 720 interlaced. What are we dealing with here? And just trying to scramble in time and then immediately pack it up and run to the next one and try and troubleshoot that one. Good Lord, that sucked. Um, so anyways, I kind of got to attend the press conferences that way because some of those, some of them like Nintendo's, you were like buried in the basement which is kind of fun because like, oh, right, right next to the green room. And it's like hanging out with Bill Trinan down there. And I remember talking about X for the Game Boy with Bill Trinan. I was like, this is a pretty good day. Um, and then other ones, you're kind of in the middle of everything, like for Sony's. Um, anyways, yeah, so I really didn't attend that many. Then 2019, I kind of got to jump into a couple again. But Joe, what do you think for like biggest surprise where you're actually there? Yeah, it's kind of hard kind of hard for me to sort out because like it actually in my head it kind of blurs together which ones i was actually in the audience Mm -hmm. for and which ones i was like just watching via live stream but for me the one one that i can say for sure that i know i was in the audience for was you know this might have been 2005 also um was the year that final fantasy 13 and versus 13 oh fun were were both announced before Final Fantasy XII had even released stateside yet. Really? Yeah. Weird. <laughs> FF twelve had not come, came out that late. Yes, two thousand six. It was out in Japan at that point, but but that was one where they had you know like they were still doing the sort of staggered release internationally for it. So that was one where it's like not only was I surprised to see 
Final Fantasy again, or like, you know, before the, that, the new one had even come out. But the fact that there were two of them was for, you know, a fan of that franchise like me, pretty mind blowing. That's awesome. God, not pointing fingers, but I remember there was somebody who maybe was working for Square that also came back into our booth just to like work on some stuff before the show started. Joe, I don't know if you recall this. Yep, and, I do. And, and they had like a script on their screen or like a breakdown, a bullet point thing. And on there was uh, Final Fantasy 15. Because it was, it was the E3 they announced it, when they announced that Versus 13 was becoming 15. And I remember just seeing Final Fantasy 16 on their screen and be like, oh my God, this is happening. It was very exciting. Getting those little teases is... It's it's such a privilege, but it's a real delight. Or even like the well, moment where Jeff, how how much of like being press at these events is like trying to steal information based not not steal, <laughs> steal. but like you know just <laughs> sneakily get some stuff you're not supposed to have so you can kind of get the jump on it. I eh eh Joe, you're better at this than I am. So I think it's a weird way to I I wouldn't phrase it so you can get the jump on it right like yeah. It's, because to some degree, it's like a lot of people, you can hear a lot of things from a lot of people, but whether whether or not you report on it depends on like, okay, how much verification can you get? You don't want to be one of those people who like, hey, this one person at the bar told me this game was happening, so I'm going to write up a whole story on it, right? So right. there's a whole process of like following up on that. And then for me, it also ties in a little bit to what we were talking about last week about just like leaks and the value of those and like the damage those can do anyway um so there's always i guess there's, it's kind of a tightrope that you walk between what you cover and how and you know and and how you sort of are responsible with <laughs> with that information and your audience and the relationships that you've built too that's not to say that you will like you know that's not to say we like oh we found out about this new game but we don't want to make x company mad so we're just not going to touch it so much as like just trying to be sensitive about how you navigate those those cases, I think. Yeah, I guess what I meant more was because um, I, I think all of that makes total sense. Like you don't necessarily want to jump to reporting on something. But like if you see something like this instance where you see something on someone's screen, yeah. like you kind of start writing it up so that like when it's announced, oh. you're like, you know, a third of the way done with it already. Or like you've already thought about it. You don't have to be you know shocked by it and then trying to write. Well, one surprising thing anyway is in a lot of those, I mean, it wasn't the case for in this particular example, but in a lot of cases, we are pre we were pre-briefed about that stuff, right? That like you, you'll, we'll say, Hey, these are things that, that are getting announced at this press conference and we are, or were, I keep using present tense. I'm not press anymore, but like, you know, we'd, we would write those stories up and preload them and basically just wait until the press conference so we could get images for them and then press go on them too. So. Right. Which is really fun for like the people that got to see the Nintendo directs early. Cause I would never get to do that, yeah. but you just would hear whispers. I remember just like riding in taxi cabs, a lot of taxis in LA. That's really the ultimate E3 experience is going from our hotel in kind of the Koreatown section uh, all the way to the convention center. And just like hearing the whispers of what they were showing at the Nintendo direct. I remember, I think, was it Kyle? They got to see the one where Breath of the Wild was revealed with the name. And like just that moment of like whispering in a taxi or in a hotel, like, by the way, the Zelda game is called Breath of the Wild. And it's, this is so dorky. But I remember like Googling that in quotes on my phone and finding like zero results. And like I took a screen cap of it. I'm like, oh, that's such a cool thing to have. But, you know, that's just for dorks, I guess. Um, yeah, James Pye is about the biggest announcements for stuff that we were at or moments for actual press conferences. Um, 
and this is barely game related, but E3 2019 was fun because I got to go to Microsoft's press conference and that was one where it's like, hey, all the lights are going wild and the door's opening and Keanu Reeves is walking on stage. Like, that's the beauty of E3. It's like, oh, I never thought I would get to see Keanu Reeves in the flesh in my life and now I'm in the same room as him. What a weird thing. Uh, Zach Galoo writes in and asks, what's the most impressive show floor spectacle that you've witnessed at E3? As someone who's never been to E3, the booths and larger structures that you see on the show floor were always something that I wished I could see in person. Nintendo always seemed particularly impressive in this regard. Yeah, they, they became the masters over time there. Mm-hmm. I like their Luigi's Mansion booth from yeah. 2019. That was a really cool booth where they actually built out Luigi's Mansion and all of their uh, like station workers were dressed as like bellboys. Right, right. And then you actually went into the mansion and they had the lights pretty low and then it kind of felt like a Disney ride. Where, like, chandeliers would start swinging, like, you could see the ghosts in the mirror. You, it looked like the opening area of Luigi's Mansion where you see, like, the faces all crossed out, like, Mario, Peach, like. So that was, <laughs> I think, one of the coolest booths that I got to see because I, like, couldn't wait in line for Cyberpunk and I couldn't see Final Fantasy VII Remake. But those also looked really cool. Yeah. God, think about that Haunted House thing. Resident Evil 2 Remake also had a really good one where it's kind of like a little... I don't know, immersive theater experience. We had to like go through this part of the police department that they rebuilt and they had zombies like attacking you and stuff. Um, but yeah, the, the Final Fantasy VII one for the remake, that was really awesome because it's like, okay, it's like you're taking a train to Midgar and they actually had like, you know, smokestacks like Midgar and stuff. It was so sweet. And I am kicking myself for not recording it for the sake of history, Kelsey. But like in that little waiting area, they had like, Oh, they had music playing, which was like some of the first times you heard like the new versions of these classic songs. And they had VO and it was like Jesse um, from the opening of Final Fantasy VII. And she was like walking you through the E3 experience. Like, all right, get ready for this. You're going to see this. All right. And there was like a whole custom script. And it was, I remember it was the first time that it became clear. They're like, okay, their angle for Jesse is that she's extremely thirsty for cloud. That seems to be the remakes angle for Jesse. And like that was even peppered in that script. So I really, I really wish I would record it on my phone. I hope somebody out there did. I mean, I mean you were, you were expressly told not, that recording was forbidden in there. Yeah. Okay. Well, where would that get you now, <laughs> Joe? Yeah, exactly. It's for history. Mm-hmm. That's right. Steal from your office for the sake of history, Joe. Didn't you learn anything? It, you know, I, I think Sarah's, uh, comment about it being like Disney rides is spot on though like I definitely got that feeling for several booths at E3 through the you know the handful that I went to um, I really liked the um, do you guys remember the Mafia 3 yeah. booth and like the okay so they had they just built like a mini New Orleans basically in the middle of the show floor and like um, a lot of booths at E3 will have like uh, a separate area that's for the people who aren't who are like the more businessy side of the business, mm-hmm. like if the the people who might be talking to Target and you know determining how many copies of this game Target's no. gonna, yeah, right, yeah. So like they had they had a second store, like these were like you know mini buildings they put mm-hmm. in there. They were meant to look like New Orleans buildings, and on the second floor was clearly where like you know the guys in suits who were having their real meetings were hanging out, but they also were like throwing down Mardi Gras beads <laughs> at people, um, and they had a full marching band. That like went through the convention hall. Yeah. And well, you know, we're playing. I don't remember what the actual context of it was. Well, the but, context like, was, was that it was um like a New Orleans style funeral where they actually had like a yeah, coffin that they right. were carrying and then playing the marching band music and carrying just a coffin around the halls of the convention center. And they had food trucks 
that had free um, fried alligator and like crawfish and stuff too. They were they were outside the convention center, but like there were there were Mafia Three food trucks, and you could just like get some fried alligator. That's so good. <laughs> um, yeah, one I remember loving was Konami's 2015, where they built out part of like Mother Base from Phantom Pain. That's what that's called, right, Joe? Dumb question. Is it Mother Base? Yeah. In 15? Or in yeah. Phantom Pain? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, but they built it out like the whole orange base and stuff. And it's like this whole big contraption, which is really funny compared to Konami's 2014 which they had this whole designated section of the floor and it was next to the glitz and glamour. And then it was just like a big white wall with the words Konami. And then like they had a sign up there and it said, please don't film this. It's like, we're just like, don't put it in the middle of the show floor. It's just an absolute zero next to just, you know, crazy rave parties all around it. I know in the, in the promo of leading up to MGS five, there was also a like sheep, a sheep attached yes. to a Fulton balloon at some point that was, I can't remember if that was E3 or TGS, but I'm pretty sure I saw one of those floating around. That sounds too. about right. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Ryan Butler writes in and said, what are some of your favorite behind the scenes memories or personal stories from E3 that aren't exactly related to anything from E3? I will never forget Ben Reeves's short shorts and the live streams, uh, but are there any other fun stories we may not know about? Hmm. Yeah. The non, non E3 stuff from E3. Let's see. Well, Hanson, you might know a few, like, wasn't E3 when there were some, like, wasn't there some staff beef at some point going around? Ooh, this sounds good. Staff beef. What flavor of staff beef? I don't know. I I don't think I was there for these years. I thought that there Mm. were some folks who were, like, uh, I think there was one editor who was, like, peeing in the bushes outside of one of the hotels. (laughs) Who could that have been? (laughs) I'm not pointing fingers here, man. Uh, Okay, I I do remember that. Yeah, I do remember that. That is is true. Well, like, any time where it's like, okay, everyone's stressed out, and then we're going to go out and uh, sing some karaoke with the harmonics folks, and everyone's drinking a lot. Yeah, I remember there was (laughs) was a lot of, a fair amount of screaming. I remember, like, the biggest argument I ever got into with Tim Turry, and it wasn't that extreme, but we were a little pissy with each other, was... Tim was adamant that we needed to do Game Informer like staff dinners while at E3. Mm. And I was like, that's the silliest thing. Like, we can do that at any other point. Like, the point of E3 is we need to go out and meet new people and make connections. Like, we should be having dinners with other people. Like, that, that, that was my biggest beef is somehow, like, that was the one thing that Tim and I were just exactly split on. And it actually got really heated in this debate. And I still argue I'm right. Um, um, so... Th- for for me, I guess these are still kind of. I mean, they're not uh, you know short shorts related, but the the sort of external to to the show floor stuff for me is like on my very first E three, I got to go see the Final Fantasy like orchestral concert. Ooh, that's good. That was again like as a as someone who is still very new to the industry at that point, the idea that like oh, I'm getting paid to go listen to music being performed from one of my favorite series ever uh, was was fantastic. And then that was the first time that I ever, who was, well, now I don't remember. I don't remember if it was, it must have been Umatsu who was there in the crowd. Uh, and yeah, I just got a big, I was going to say maybe it was Sakaguchi, but he was done. He was, I think, done with Final Fantasy at that point. So. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, big one but, for me. I've talked about it on the podcast before, but um it was during E3 um, where Dan Reichert, 
who hasn't been mentioned on this podcast or even alluded to in this podcast yet. Um, <laughs> but he got he got invited to go to a Simpsons table read. Um, and then he brought along Ben Pack from Giant Bomb and myself. And that was like near highlight of my life. Like, what do you talk? I get to go to a Simpsons table read. And it was like before E3 opened that day. It was like pretty early in the day. It was like on the last day or something. And it was very fun going over there and just talking about all these hypotheticals. And I remember at some point in the taxi ride, we're like, what if there's a special guest star? Who wonder who it could be? This is going to be crazy. And then we get there and it's like, surprise, there's a special guest star and it's Werner Herzog. You now will get to sit next to Werner Herzog reading the Simpsons script. It's like next to the entire cast. It was amazing. Was, was everyone there in person? Everyone was there. There were a couple. Oh, God, I took dorky notes on it, but there were like two people that weren't there. I want to say like Julie Kavner wasn't there and somebody else. Hank Azaria, maybe something like that. And then everybody else was in that room. And so that is like my ultimate prize possession is that Simpsons script signed by Werner Herzog. It's very sweet. Uh, let's see. Jose Arroyo writes in and says, Hey, y'all, I've never been to E3, so let me live it through you. That's that's the goal. Uh, what's the craziest or funniest or funnest post-E3 party you attended? Sarah, take it away. The craziest party. I've never been to an E3 party. Because <laughs> I worked E3. And balloons. I was the craziest party I went to was blowing up bats until 11 p.m. <laughs> and they kicked us out because they were closing the convention center. I mean, that's crazy in its own way. It's, it, blowing yeah, crazy, up things is fun. Crazy in a, you know... Uh, you know, really bond with your coworkers on the show floor at 11 and all the other people were leaving and they'd be like, oh, we're so sad for you. And I'm like, if you were really sad, you'd grab a bat and you'd start blowing. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, it, it's surprisingly stressful. Like E3, there's a thousand different reasons why, but one of them is like, just kind of the, it feels like high school or something again. I'm like, oh, I get, I hope I get invited to the cool party. You know, I hope I can find where all the cool mm-hmm. people are going to be. And it just, it kind of feels gross and clicky. Uh, in some ways with that. And it's like, you know, there'd be a war gaming party or some party like that. And it's like, hey, we're having an in and out truck outside and here's a bunch of booze or here's a Saints Row party or whatever. Um, but I was really thankful for when I started doing the podcast every night then from E3 because then it was like, okay, social pressure is off because I just get to have a bunch of beer with whoever we invite back to the hotel room, bring some developers by and we can just kind of like have our own little party here and I don't need to be scrambling about like, okay, where are the cool people going? Blah, blah, blah. And then like when it would wrap up and I'd finish that live podcast, then I'd get to go over to Giant Bomb's uh, green room for their streams and that was like, that felt like, okay. As a huge Giant Bomb fan, that felt like a real privilege to be like sitting in that crowd and drinking booze and watching that nonsense go down. And I feel like the the craziest E three parties were definitely like two thousand ten and earlier. Sure, right? Like like there like there was just there was just an era there where every big every big like publisher, well maybe not Nintendo, but like there was a Sony party, there was a Microsoft party, there was and like and even the sort of like third party publishers too. So there was a point where you would have to like divide and conquer, right? Like okay. You two are going to the Sony party. You two are going to this party. You guys are going to the Bethesda party to make sure that like GI was represented at everything that was going on. Sure. And then it got to the point where it's like, like there's maybe one or two things happening each night and neither of them are necessarily like must attend things. So it like in later years for me, I would just go home and like work and then 
when I finished what I needed to finish, I'd go like grab a drinks with grab drinks with some folks who were around. Right, you know? right. Yeah, I mean the PlayStation parties kind of had the biggest reputation for being absolutely bonkers. Was it there that they got like the Who to play? Like I mean, it's just crazy concerts would happen. The Who was a uh, was rock band related. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah, that's right. And another another rock band related one that I went to that was awesome. I I did get to go to the Who one, and then I went to. Uh, a Queens of the Stone Age concert in a, in a pretty small venue. Like it was more, I remember it being more like a bar than anything else. That sounds so, good. Yeah. So that's the concerts are very memorable and cool. Yeah. Uh, Deez Butts writes in um, champion of Trivia Tower Deez Butts uh, saying, what do you think is the biggest marketing lie you've ever heard behind closed doors at E3? A hands off demo that in retrospect was clearly fake, for instance. Milo. Connect. Oh, Milo really? for connect. Yeah. <laughs> Like there was clearly someone like behind a curtain, just like talk, like talking. That was not a game. So they just put a little British boy behind a curtain and said, just talk to the connect and it'll talk back to you. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. And did you know what was happening the whole time? It was pretty, I mean, considering that connect had just sort of was like in, in such early stages, I don't even know if it was connect at that point. They might've still been calling it Natal. Right. right like right. it was still, it was definitely pre-release. So it was still in such early phases of de- development that it's clear that like, if you had the technology to make AI interactions, <laughs> this responsive, it wouldn't be this, like this leap from, you know, uh, like a townsperson, constantly walking into the table in oblivion and then suddenly having a full logical conversation with a human being. Right. So I'd have had other applications too, other than like it, it's first debut is this incredible AI being like this weird connect thing. Yeah, <laughs> let, let's, let's make a believable British boy. <laughs> Maybe other things before that. Yeah, what are you going to do? Uh, Joseph H. says, with E3 in a weird West style shallow grave, what's your biggest E3 regret? Something you never got to experience. Um, I got to go to the event as press way back in 2005, and I'll never forget, uh, I'll never, sorry, I'll forever regret not letting myself geek out and ask for a handshake when I saw Miyamoto at the Twilight Princess booth. Although I'm sure he was fine with one less handshake that day. (laughs) Yeah, that's a tough one. You don't want to put him in a tough spot, but I get that. Regrets. I have... I have one silly one um, and maybe one serious one, but uh, the merch at E3 was always really hilarious, at least all of the years that I went. And like, it was always funny enough for me to take photos of, but like, especially now that it might be dead forever, I'm like, why didn't I buy all of the really stupid shirts? And like, (laughs) you know, (laughs) I did buy, um, I have a cape that says E3 Super Gamer. That's Okay, you're set. You're set. That's that's good. That's that's about as good as you can go. I also bought a makeup bag that I, I lost, unfortunately, that said... An E3 uh, the, makeup bag? An E3 makeup bag that said, this bag contains my gamer face. <laughs> Hell yeah. I don't know how, man. That's, there's a lot to unpack there. So, it's so good. There was always, there was like, in 2019, it was just like, E3 2019, hype AF. Yep. <laughs> yep. Yep. And there was one whole line. People bought it. When I was ben. working on the show floor, they have like an underground merch trade between the booths. So I think like Valkyrie Chronicles 4 had like the Shiba Inu hats, mm. like the hat with the dog wearing a hat. And we had the bats and they would like come over and they were like, we heard you guys have the bats. 
And I'm like, we heard you guys have the hats. <laughs> and then we like, we developed like a monetary trade of like how many hats was one bat worth. Right, right. Deflating and then we got bat in trouble, is different. But it, 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 went, it went pretty deep. <laughs> ben, I was going to ask, isn't one of your most popular tweets of all time the picture of the E3 2017 shirt? Yeah, because we got to go in early. Yeah. And so the first time that they had that, uh, impossibly lame merch. I took a picture of it and tweeted it. And then, yeah, number one tweet. And then I think your number one tweet of all time is the immediate reply to that tweet where you said, how do you feel that your most popular tweet of all time is about t-shirts? <laughs> like, yeah, right. that, was, that was my most popular tweet of all time. It recently got overtaken by a tweet about Elden Ring. Oh, really? What is that? Regale us. Oh, that, that's just, I was, I, I have no idea how this tweet got picked up, but I, uh, I just said something like it, it was about something my wife said where she's where she just said, well, I'm going to go get ready for bed because I see it is the Elden Ring portion of the evening. And that and that was it. And the tweet got like 8000 likes. Wow. Hey, you're a celebrity, oh. man. Congratulations. Yeah, um, big deal. Yeah. Uh, writing in about Miyamoto at E3. Like that's another reason why I know that I'm uh, very lucky overall as a person is like I lost count of how many times I've met Miyamoto. Which oh is, my god! Uh, that's like get I know, out of here. That's, that's, I think oh, I think it leave. might be five. Boo, I think it might be five. But it's it's very fun. I was delighted of like um, somebody was referencing uh, Kotabe, like the artist for old Nintendo stuff, and I guess still some newer stuff. Um, and somebody uh, quoted like this interview that I did with Miyamoto, asking him like, "Hey, would you ever make a two D Mario game all in that Kotabe art style, kind of like looking like the box art and stuff?" And it was fun just to like have that back and forth with Miyamoto there. Um, and this is then I started thinking too much because like also I got to meet Tezuka and interview him there. We did like a rapid fire interview at E3 with him, which was really fun. Um, but Kelsey, what do you think about this idea? Don't you think that for the sake of history, we should just collectively make like a document, just a shared Google doc and somehow prioritize just for the sake of history, the questions that you should ask if you ever get a chance to interview these legends again. Yes, absolutely. I've thought about this too. Like, um, cause it's so rare that, you get to speak to anyone from the, well, from really any side of Nintendo, but especially the Japan side of Nintendo. And it's yeah. typically part of like a PR circuit. And it's like, you're talking about Super Mario Odyssey, but maybe you can squeeze in another totally. question or two. Um, yeah, absolutely. Because there's some, uh, I, I actually, I I was able to meet um, Hisashi Nogami, who's uh, the Splatoon director, but also um, worked, you know, was, the co-director of the original Animal Crossing and stuff. And um, it was like very explicitly not an interview. Like I was told like, you can't, you can't like record any of this. You're just meeting him. And uh, I was trying to like figure out like, what questions can I sneak in that just like satisfy my own curiosity, but like aren't, you know, that I could pass off as like conversational. Right. Right. But I think, I think that needs to be, yeah, we, we, we need to all collectively get together and just be like, what What are we missing? What have these guys not been asked yet? So that when we have these little opportunities, like someone point at the document and be like, can you slip in one of these? Like, come on. Totally. Because I feel like journalists would appreciate it too. It was like, okay, I get to interview Miyamoto. Like, just for the sake of history, we have this slight window where the door's open. What should I ask? Because often it's just like, hey what's your favorite Nintendo game? Or it's just, hey, when are more virtual console games coming to the Switch? It's just like this boring nonsense that for the sake of history is just a zero. I had a weird, this isn't, wasn't with Nintendo, but I had sort of a weird experience about that where I got to go to uh, 
Maxis and do a bunch of interviews there for the studio's like 25th anniversary. Yeah. Shortly, be- shortly before EA shut them down. And uh, I got to talk to Will Wright. And there, something that surprised me is because I was like, hey, you know, like there's some fuzzy stuff out there about the origins of Maxis and sort of like when and where certain things happened. So I was like, oh, I'm going to ask him some of this for this oral history thing I'm doing. And a lot, I mean, for some of those folks, that was like, you know, 20 plus years ago. And Will Wright did not remember the details of some of the things I was asking him, you know? So it's possible that yeah. you sit down with Miyamoto and you're like, okay, you need to clear this up. Did this game release in December 1987 right, or February right. 88? And he'll just go, I have no idea. Yeah, it's tough too if you don't have like a, a sustained period of time. Like if, so if you were like, if you were granted an interview with Miyamoto where you really could just sit down with him for an hour and actually ask him whatever you wanted to ask him, it's yeah. never going to happen. But if you could, like there's tricks you can use to try to like get them back into that mindset. But like you can't just point blank, at least in my experience, yeah. you know, when you start interviewing people, like if you just start point blank asking them questions that are, pretty specific from a long time ago like they have no idea so you have to you have to like do this slow like getting back into the mindset of 20 years ago and then you they might be able to start uncovering some things but it's it's not it's not always going to happen if you only have the opportunity to just like ask a quick question you know yeah yeah kelsey's saying i'm bad at my job that's right. No, That's right. no, I'm saying, saying you didn't have time. To learn hypnosis. We gotta learn hypnosis. We gotta hypnotize these people into the past. That's right. Dress like their parents. Um, there has to be some trick to just get them in the past. I think this was a tip I got from Danny O'Dwyer. I, I forget if I, I think this is where it came from. He said like one of the things he uses is like he asks them where they used to go have lunch. Mm. Uh, like to just you get their brain back in that area. Like sure, you know what what. What did you do for lunch uh, when you were working at the studio in the 90s? And then they're like, oh, yeah, you know, I remember walking across the street to that burger place. And OK, now I'm like I'm, I'm living there again. I'm, I'm good. I love it. Uh, suddenly they remember a conversation they had with someone on the way to that burger place. Totally. Exactly. Or, exactly. or just, yeah. yeah, old pictures of the development team, like anything to just kind of mm-hmm. jog their memory, anything visual. Like, yeah, I, I regret it so much. And I'm sure he wouldn't even remember. Um, but uh, Tezuka, at, at some point in that, I think it was in the rapid fire interview, um, mentioned like him directing Link to the Past, and he said like, ah, technically, I took over directing halfway through the development of Link to the Past. And I was like, oh, okay. And then I just moved ahead, and I wish I would have asked him like, who was the original director of the Link to the Past? Because nobody knows. Like, it can be assumed it was Miyamoto, I guess, but I don't know. Kelsey, do you have any idea? Not off the top of my head. That information <laughs> might be out there, but like, I've tried yeah, digging. I thing. can't find it. That, that's the thing is like when you're in those situations, it's like, do we know about this? Do I need to dig further on this or like, can I keep moving on? That's, that's hard. Yeah, that's really hard. Uh, hey, that's E3, everybody. Uh, the finest around. I hope we can all go back as a big old group and celebrate at some point. Otherwise, let's just keep telling old stories for a long time. It is it's such a weird spot. To you know, I loved E3 before I got to go, and now it is just so entangled, like professionally, and just as a fan of the industry, and personally, you know, like meeting friends out there and everything. It's just such a weird, I don't know, monster at this point of nostalgia. And I, I hope that, yeah, I hope that other people are nostalgic about it too, and it's not just us being like, I had a lot of fun at a party in 2012, you know. Um, but hey, uh, Sarah, this this freaking vampire game. 
Oh my god. Let's get into when, it. You streamed it last night yeah. on, on Twitch. Uh, v Rising, which... You pitched I, it to me as Vampire Valheim, and yeah. I said, no way, impossible. How could it be Vampire Valheim? It is exactly Vampire Valheim. <laughs> I'm out there chopping down trees, getting some rocks, gathering some grass, and like you kind of forget that you're a vampire, right? Because like, what self-respecting vampire is homesteading it in is, the middle of the forest? <laughs> It's and not then what they all do. Of a, all of a sudden, the sun will come up, and I'll, I'll be chopping down my trees, you know, and the tree falls, and it's like, and like you all, you take all this damage because the sun's up, and you can't like sleep when the sun. You're a vampire, so like I, you just kind of play hopscotch from like tree to tree to not burn to death. What a weird idea! But you can't harvest it for resources, or else. You can still harvest things for resources, but like, just know that you're, if you're standing in the shade of the tree you're chopping down, the shade will soon not be there, <laughs> and you will burn. <laughs> that is such a weird combination. Like the idea of building like a secret vampire castle in the woods mm -hmm. sounds pretty cool, and that's ultimately what you're doing. Yeah, I think definitely this is a game that you pick up with friends. You and your closest friends Valheim it up and you build your dream vampire castle and you get an army of servants to collect all these resources for you. Ooh, that's but man, good. I was really homesteading, slumming it. You learn how to build palisades. In the early that? on, that's the first thing you can build. It's just like a wall. Okay. And you're you don't build a roof. You have to beat a bunch of bosses before you can build a roof. And I'm like, I am a vampire. The one thing I don't, I don't need walls. I need a roof, but that is just a bridge too far. <laughs> is it? Uh, is it fun? It is fun, but like half, like you'll be doing something, and then you'll be like, "Wait, I'm also a vampire." And then you'll go and you'll kill a bunch of people, and then you'll be like, "Wait, who's gonna build my walls?" <laughs> Wait, can you? So you're going around and actually like sucking people's blood and doing the whole vampire yeah. thing? Yeah, it it looks kind of like Diablo, where like you right. have abilities. And the more of the bosses you defeat, the more abilities you get. Um, so you're like building equipment, building weapons. You're supposed to hunt down all these special creatures to get better abilities. And then you're also supposed to build your dream castle. <laughs> that sounds like a great game. It's yeah. all right there. So, well, my question about this. So it's in early access right now. Yeah. How, <laughs> like, how rough of a state is it in? I didn't see any... Bugs, it said that there's like a warning that if you play too much, you might experience uh, some more FPS issues, gameplay issues. The only thing that really signals that it's an early access is they don't tell you anything. They don't, mm. there is, it's very like Valheim-y where it's like, yeah. they dropped me and then they dropped me and they said, gather 30 bones. And I said, what will I do with the bones? Do I, is bones the economy? Like, and then they'll be like, <laughs> build a wall. And I'm like, oh. Okay, build some walls. So that's the only really big... The map is huge, by the way. I only explored like a tiny portion of it, but the map is huge. And it's just so weird because it's like, why vampires? Right. I guess you need a, it, you need a hook. If it's just, hey, another survival yeah, game. Honestly, we probably wouldn't be talking about it. But the hook of it's Valheim, but Diablo perspective and vampires, like that's enough of an mm -hmm. angle to get people more interested, I guess. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, it's from Sunlock, or sorry, Stunlock Studios. Yeah, it's on Steam Early Access right now. Um, and uh, Sarah, I meant to ask you, is Ebony Darkness Dementia Ravenway in it, or? Kelsey, do you know Ebony Darkness Dementia? Oh, yeah, Thank I you, sure do. Yeah. Thank you, Kelsey. <laughs> we, to fill me in. What does this mean? Well, I took everybody on a journey through, like, Twilight and early Tumblr, 
And I was like, they were like, well, what would your vampire name be? And I was like, obviously, it would be Ebony Darkness Dementia Ravenway, which is a very popular Harry Potter fanfic. <laughs> it's like legendarily it's terrible. Legend- <laughs> <laughs> I think Sarah and I had the same childhood, we've yeah. determined. So just... I'm, I'm always with you, Sarah. You can yeah, you can yeah. be like, well, Kelsey knows this. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I, I got you. That's right. You can actually swap halves of your brains and still be mm-hmm. totally functional and fine, and your life wouldn't change at any point. Mm-hmm. And that's that's going to be a Patreon goal, everybody. So look forward to that, please. Uh, okay, uh, little experimental surgery. <laughs> uh, little witch in the woods. What is little this? Witch in the what woods. is this thing, Sarah? I- I think that was shown uh, last year at the Wholesome Games Direct. Oh yeah, and, yeah. Mm-hmm, it was one of my most anticipated games. It was supposed to come out last year, but it got delayed. Uh, it's also an early access, but it is a very relaxing story-based game where you're living as this little witch in the woods in a little house. You're gathering resources and you're crafting potions and spells to help a village that has fallen into ruin. You're sort of like collecting new characters as you unlock more of the villages, more of the village residents, you know, like expanding your resources, expanding your spells. Um, the writing's pretty cute. The character design is awesome, I think. But yeah, very, very laid back, not very challenging. Just kind of a cute resource gathering, crafting story game. Exactly what you're looking for? Exactly what I needed. Okay. You, like, where does this fall on the... Like, how close is it to something like Littlewood or Stardew Valley or something I like would that? say a little bit... Littlewood is very exploratory. I feel like this map is a lot smaller than that. Uh, mm. And the customization, like, you can't really pick where people live. You can't pick who gets to move in. Um, but, like, similar characters to Littlewood, like, everyone kind of has more of a depth to them than you first see. And then definitely more linear than, like, a Stardew, you know, and you can't really manage your resources as well. You're always going out to pick plants. You're always going out. You always need more. Uh, so just, yeah, a very relaxing, not challenging, cute story if you want to be a little witch. Yeah, most of us do, I think. I'll try that. There we go. Little Witch in the Woods is the name of that one. And then V Rising was the name of the whole vampire game on Steam there. Um, Sarah, thank you for being here. Um, do you want to go just think more about E3 on your own, though? Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to go reflect on all all of the stuff that I've missed from E3. <laughs> okay, that sounds like a great day. All right, thanks for being here. you can take with you yeah. and inflate. I, there's bats a special smell from the plastic of the bats and, like, the burning of the air compressors oh, as they would man. die. That just kind of really takes me back. Do you still have any of those bats? I never took a bat. I didn't want oh. any of those cursed things in my home. I was like, absolutely not. I never want to see that again. My fingers, like the skin on my fingers was getting worn down from all the stickers. I had to apply to each of the bats saying that they were not a weapon and you could not use them as a weapon. Legally, if you were injured, you could not come after us with Uh, this bat. It's gone. Sarah, it's gone. The bats are gone. They've been wiped (laughs) from history. They'll never be gone. Even even Kelsey the Historian does not want the bats. They've all been destroyed. They're just in a landfill somewhere. They'll never be seen again. There were so many... We can selectively just remove some parts of history. I think that's fair. We'll just cut around this part. (laughs) That's that's a sort of get off track for one second. Kelsey, like how, how valuable from a historical standpoint is just like dumb stuff like swag like that for me three. Okay. This is, I'll try to be quick with this. Um, I have a storage unit where it's basically like at some point I need to figure out if this is actually valuable to keep, but I have been 
And by the way, uh, you journalists here who, you know, probably have a bunch of this stuff, uh, like, I'm collecting it, and it's in a storage unit, not in the actual archive, because, like, I really don't know how useful a lot of it's going to be, but, like, some of it probably will be, and at the very least, a lot of it will be useful to, like, make sure people know it existed, like, photo and description and where it came from and all of that, but, like, I, do I have to keep every inflatable bat and like you know the i'm trying to think of some of the dumb stuff i have um there's a really i can't remember which which uh, game it was it was like dead by daylight or or dying light or something with death and light and i don't know um <laughs> they sent they sent a media press kit that was like a perfume concocting kit for like the different areas of the game so they all have scents like blood and Ooh. dirt and concrete and then there'd be like a little instruction card that's like okay you want to you want to mix two drops of blood with one drop of concrete for this area so you can like get the smell of vision while you're playing that's it that's good and it's 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 a very creative idea. Um, it's wrapped in like five bags, so it doesn't stink up the whole storage. Oh god! Yet, <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is. I think we talked about it. I think it was. I think you're on after GDC, right? But I was fascinated by that idea of you and Frank from the History Foundation just trying to capture the essence of GDC 2022 by just collecting every flyer, and that's, I know, a whole can of worms for a discussion. But that idea of like, how do you? capture e3 2016 for history what is the best yeah, the, way to the do papers, that papers the paper and like taking photos and video are much more important i think than like inflatable bats but for now you know but i mean yeah we we still need to know about the inflatable bats i mean someday someone's gonna write the history book on sarah and they're gonna need to know what right. this trauma she's talking about is. They got photos. So. That's okay. That's right. Every, <laughs> you don't need the real thing. Every time her V rising vampire turned into a bat, she just had to look away from the screen. Just any yeah. connotation with the word is too much for her. Um, all right. Hey, Sarah, uh, thank you for being here. Do you want to clap out and make room for somebody else? Yeah. Do I do it now? Or whenever I've you want. I've never done this before. I've never been the one Are to clap out. Are you serious? Yeah. I've never clapped out for credit. Like, usually you bring me in four questions. Yeah. This is bizarre. Uh, well, normally, let's see. We learned from Leo last week that you can hold us all hostage and talk about whatever mm -hmm. you want because we're just waiting for you to clap. So the floor is yours, really. No, I want to get out of here. Bye, guys. Bye. Leo Vader, welcome to the show, sir. Thank you so much. How you doing? Thriving and vibing. That's right. It's a standing day, so everybody knows that means Leo's feeling a little bit tired and he's trying to hype himself up. He's going to be running in but place. Not, but not too tired to stand up. We know. That's, That's the right. sweet spot That's that right. gets me standing. That's it. Uh, Leo, something that got you standing on your feet and applauding the television, uh, so I hear, is this game that I'm fascinated by from a distance. Uh, Sniper Elite 5. Yes. Does anyone here have any experience with this franchise? Every time they come out, I look at um, some screenshots of some sort of bullet x-ray brain thing and say, this seems like a thing for somebody, but not me. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's my main experience. Gifts of bullets, like x-ray bullets going through the, like people's nards and stuff. Right. That's right. Yeah. That's a very fair reaction. From the outside <laughs> of this franchise, I, I thought it was uh, for... Sniper nerds for World War II nerds. Yeah. Uh, that's certainly the sniping is what they focus on in the trailers. But what I found out is that's not actually for nerds. It's actually for cool guys. Oh, I'll be damned. <laughs> I'm pleased to report. Funny how that works. 
Um, uh, I got into it with Sniper Elite 4, where I discovered that this isn't so much the sniping mill sim that I thought it was. People can kind of get that out of it, certainly. But it's more of just a stealth action game with really big, cool levels and lots of systems. Ooh. My yeah, so it's, it's, it's a sister of Hitman. It really is a hit huh. sister. Huh. So tell me the thrills. Walk me through this. What are you doing? You're just slowly camping out, waiting to snipe at somebody? Or is it really just playing like Splinter Cell at a certain point? Or what are you doing? It's Splinter cell Honestly, what I've been thinking of playing Sniper Elite 5 is it reminds me of Metal Gear Solid 5. Ooh, really? As far as what you're doing is kind of simple and the animations aren't going to blow you away, but everything is super tight. The gameplay is super tight and everything you're doing has layers to it that you can make decisions with or be creative with. Example being every trap you have has like these secondary uses. You can put down a decoy so that people will shoot at it and they'll get marked or whatever. Or you can put down a decoy with a 30 second timer so you can put it down, then move somewhere else around behind them. And then the decoy pops up and then they're all focused on that. That sounds good. Shooting on that. Because I think from my vantage point, I kind of imagine this just to stay in that Metal Gear mode of like, oh, I really like the sniper battles in Metal Gear. Like, I I like fighting the end. I like fighting Sniper Wolf. That idea of just, you know, I like sniping in Battlefield games. It's really satisfying. And so that's what I kind of imagine this game was about, but even that wasn't enough to get me to play. But are, is there a lot of sniping as well? Like, if I just want that kind of, like, long, slow, tense experience, is that it? Yes, certainly. It is like a... It's a stealth shooter that happens to have really good sniping is kind of how I feel about it. Huh. Like there's so much other stuff you're doing with secondary weapons that also get the cool quick kill cams or whatever. And traps, you're constantly laying traps, learning enemy patterns and stuff. And then when you do snipe, it's remarkably good. But that's like not the main thing I feel like I'm doing. Yeah. And you said you can turn off the X-ray Nards cam, right? Yes, which is nice because for trap explosions, you know, it'll show you an x-ray of like their ribs breaking. And I would just rather see the body go flying. Thank yeah. you very much. <laughs> I'm a gentleman. But I, I really you. like how like that is an example of how much you can customize this game. Like what I'm saying about people who want it to be a super accurate military sim can get that out of it is because you can customize every bit of the difficulty of like, do you want wind or bullet drop to matter when you're sniping or do you want to not have to care about that at all? Or do you want enemies to be tougher or smarter? Those are different settings. I have them on regular toughness, but way smarter. And I have like regular difficulty across a few things, but I have it so ammo's really scarce and I have to scavenge everything just because I like that. There's so many. You can have such a specific difficulty setting for like exactly the type of action game you want. Yeah, I love that. I feel like the series has been trying to dig itself out of the hole of maybe its title. Because the title just reads like discount THQ game, yes. you know. And I feel like every oh, entry. PS2 era. Like yes. just whatever yeah. gun game. Yep. Yep. Yes. But I feel like with Teams every entry. playing it on a TV. <laughs> yeah. But I feel like every game, it's just like there's that fraction of people that are like no actually this game's really good though and i feel like with every entry it's just getting louder and louder people are like no actually sniper elite rules everybody you should really look into it i think this could be the one because the level the levels have always been underrated sniper elite 4 was in italy which is like a ton of really cool locations uh, you know we all got tired of world war ii games but i feel like developers let us down with world war ii locations is really what happened this one's set in france and they're every new level i'm just stunned by and i'm just 
taking my binoculars out and looking all over it and so excited to explore all these different parts of it. There's level three, I think, is like this spy academy that's these giant like cathedrals and towers on this island that you have to like slowly make your way towards. And then once you get in, it's this full ass village you're exploring. And it's all really beautiful. Like looking at screenshots, I don't think you could tell it wasn't a full triple A game. You see they cut corners on some like animations and stuff, but nothing that impacts the joy of exploring those locations. Yeah, I think this one, it might be the one that really breaks through because I guess it's also going to be on Game Pass. And I feel like that's right. the that's the right boost this thing would need to have people actually try and defend it. It's that plus the cross play. It's fully co-op through the campaign and the survival mode. And there's invasions now, Ooh. which I think gets a lot of people in the door. And it's my favorite invasion system I've seen yet. Interesting. Um, What's different about the invasion system? So you invade an enemy and, or, you know, you invade somebody playing their single player game and an ability you have is to not only mark your fellow Germans. And so you'll be told when they spot the protagonist and you'll get warned if they're like last seen location, that mechanic's super clear. But you can also like go near a group and press a button and it's called like stay sharp and you just rally the Germans around you who are chilling and they go into like hunting mode, you know, as if they've spotted him. You say heads up, there's a protagonist around here. You should go find him. And then they start walking around searching corners and make it more difficult for the player. And every every one on one I've had in that. And despite it being pre-release, I've gotten invaded a lot. So maybe the only downside would be you might constantly be getting invaded if you don't turn it off. Um, every one of those interactions has been so interesting and huh. satisfying. Yeah, it's uh, developed by Rebellion, which is quietly one of the most interesting developers out there. They've been around since 1991. They did like the original AVP games, Aliens vs. Predator on Jaguar and stuff. And they did that one in 2010 that wasn't as good, but still. I remember playing the demo and thinking it was pretty good. But then looking into the history of Rebellion, they are bizarre. Like they own Judge Dredd because they bought like a comics publisher years and years ago. They've started releasing films, like in 2021, some film called Schools Out Forever was released from Rebellion, and it's at like 73% on Rotten Tomatoes. Like Duncan Jones is working with them on some new film, because a lot of it's coming from that comic line. They're just quietly churning stuff out over there. Like, I mean, they bought uh, Core Design, apparently, from Eidos back in the day, like the original Tomb Raider developers. They just have a weird, long history. Kelsey, again, not to put you on the spot as uh, Miss History, but <laughs> I mean, have you focused on Rebellion? Have you ever thought about what a weird studio they are? No, it's a super weird studio. Um, and actually, and I, off the top of my head, I can't remember why, but for a little while we were trying to get in touch with someone at Rebellion. It has something to do with an unreleased game that they we believe they own the rights to and i i sorry i don't remember yeah that's off totally the top fine. of my head but like yeah they've 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 been involved in a lot of really strange stuff because i don't feel like it's a studio anyone ever like i i don't know that your average person like even knows this studio name right you know what i mean totally. and for how much output they've had and how long they've been around i feel like it's you know they're just one of those very under the radar companies yeah yeah. Uh, well, there we go. Sniper Elite 5. Leo, I mean, you think it's going to be in your top five of the year? We're we talking that it's level? It's my favorite game I played this year. Wow. At the moment. That came out this year. Yeah. Jeez, that's awesome. All right. Sniper Elite 5, everybody. Um, hey, I checked out uh, Multiverses. Multiverses? I don't know the best way to say it. Um, but this is Warner Brothers Smash game. Have you seen this thing, Joe? 
Yeah, the biggest thing I know about it is, I think I've mentioned before, it, I think it's funny because it reminds me of that Game and Farcer cover we did years and years ago oh, about right. a Warner Brothers fighting game that has Liu Kang uppercutting Free Willy on the front of it. <laughs> That's right. And it was like Looney Tunes in the background and stuff. And now it's like, oh, no, they realized, okay, let's actually make that game. Turns out we can yeah. actually exactly. make money making a Smash clone. Um, yep, yep. Yeah, it's free to play. Um, it's alpha. It's in alpha right now. It's coming out apparently in open beta at least in July of 2022. But it's easy to be cynical about this. I mean, Warner Brothers has been shoving their property and everything that can contain it from Ready Player One and Space Jam New Legacy. It just I'm a little Warner Brothers IP'd out. That's a weird sentence to say. But I jumped into Multiverses uh, just being a big Smash fan. I'm like... It's good, everybody. It actually feels really good to play. I was really surprised by it overall. And like a lot of the free-to-play nonsense and store stuff really isn't in there right now. There's this whole perk system that gives you little boosts that I could see getting gross potentially with the free-to-play structure um, because it's actually impacting gameplay. But we don't really know. At least I couldn't figure out exactly how that's going to be implemented when the full thing uh, rolls out. But yeah, it, it feels fast. It feels tight. Uh, the characters are fun and silly. I mean, Shaggy's in there. It's kind of the, the big thing. And he's just he's just Goku. Like, it's <laughs> they took everybody disappointed that Goku isn't in uh, Smash. And they're like, okay, well, let's just make Goku Shaggy in multiverses then. And he can go Super <laughs> Saiyan. It's just absurd. Um, there's weird stuff where uh, there's one new character, not from any Warner Brothers IP. And its name is Rhindog. And it's just like this weird-looking fantasy dog. It's so weird. Like, for one of these games, you just have one character that's just completely new from the studio. But he has, like, a tether where he can grapple onto his teammate and, like, pull them back to the arena. So it's just a really cool dynamic. And they're really trying to focus on team play for this one, even more than Smash. But, like, having fun interactions. Like, with that tether, you can jump out, attack somebody, smash them off. I mean, it's exactly Smash. They go flying off the screen. And then if you're really far out there, then the Rhine dog character can, like, grapple onto you and like pull you back in and stuff um you know they got bugs bunny and stuff in there tom and jerry are some of my favorites they're really silly and fun it's rosalina and luna from smash um let's see they I have this, i played a couple rounds of this oh, last night really way, just randomly yeah i didn't have a chance to tell you that but oh I yeah can, what do you think i can even um yeah so i, I think obviously the smash comparisons are going to be all over the place but what i thought was really interesting about it is yeah just how far they're leaning into like like there are support characters in this game <laughs> and that's fascinating yeah in a fighting game totally. so it's like it's got like almost a little bit of a um you know like a hero game element like a like an overwatchy kind of thing to it despite being uh, essentially super smash brothers um i I also think there's like way too many status effects in the game. It's yes. like a confusing yeah. amount of status effects, but um, yeah, it just kind of it muddies up kind of the the UI in a way where even characters' moves, a lot of them have cooldowns and stuff, and so you find yourself kind of like squinting and looking at the UI. It almost feels like some of like the Smash Brothers DLC characters, where they all had kind of custom UI, like you know the Dragon Quest hero and stuff like that, where there's just some funky stuff happening on the screen that you're not quite paying attention to. It seems like that's kind of the starting point for a lot of these folks. Yeah, it goes, I feel like it's a game that strategy-wise probably goes insanely deep, which worries me in like a, can this really be da be balanced, like, with this level of depth to some of these characters? Like, is this, act are there just going to be some crazy things to exploit, like, almost instantly? I mean... That's my, that's my fear, and I'm not like a huge fighting game person, but like, I 
I enjoyed it. I thought it was a very interesting take on a Super Smash Brothers game. Yeah, totally. And it's like, oh, a Smash Brothers game that's free to play and the online is good and solid. <laughs> I, I mean, the world's their oyster. We'll see how far it can go. It's not on Switch. It's going to be on everything else. Um, but character-wise, there's fun stuff, Joe. Like, they have Arya Stark in there, fully voiced. All these characters are fully voiced. They got the voice actors, which is a big leg up from uh, the Nickelodeon All-Stars Brawl. But something I didn't even think of with Arya Stark, just messing around with her a little bit in, like, the practice mode, um, is she can steal people's faces. So it's kind of like a Kirby thing where she can steal their face and then, like, become Shaggy by, like, putting his face on. <laughs> but I was confused. I don't know if you messed with it, Kelsey, but I couldn't figure out, like, she doesn't stay that way. It's not like a full Kirby thing. I don't know if she's, like, taking their abilities or buffs or something. I didn't mess around with her specifically. I played against one, but okay. I didn't I didn't mess around with her. And I... I yeah, like I said, confusing amount of statuses. I don't know. Did you play as Taz at yeah, all? Yeah, yep. So Taz can, like, you can inflict enough of whatever this status effect is that just, like, eventually, if you do enough of it, like, you build up the meter, you just turn them into a turkey, like a <laughs> <Right>. roast turkey <laughs> that can't do anything but run around. So it's, like, it's just, there's some bizarre, like, I don't... I only played a few rounds, but sure. I'm like, wow, these mechanics are, um, <laughs> I don't know how any of this works. It's, it's oh, silly. You say, yeah. you say it's like, it's a fun, it's a fun fighting game independent of the sort of Warner Brothers properties. Like, what? I mean, at that point you can just play Brawlhalla or something, but I think it'd be solid, but it would, I don't think it'd be extremely notable if it wasn't for the IP, but like a solid gameplay foundation and then they can keep layering in this IP. I feel like it, it has a chance, um, the, my favorite character, which I was not expecting going in, is uh, Velma from Scooby Doo. Oh, she's a total like support character too. Like I didn't couldn't figure out how to use her very well. She just made me laugh because her basic attack is just like speech bubbles, where she just says dopey lines from the seventies, like blah blah blah, and she can just like shout, and the bubbles will like chase after somebody and attack them. And then she's also going around. And there's like clues popping up on the levels and so you can go and jump around and if you get all the clues then you can just call the police on the person you're fighting <laughs> and a cop car comes and they get put in the back and then the cop car just drives off the edge of the level it's really good gaming um so that, that definitely got me so there's a lot of fun stuff in there and like there's fun dynamics too especially with the voice acting which is fun we're like oh if you're velma and you go up against batman She's like, oh, we'll see who's the world's greatest detective. And then they have Kevin Conroy as Batman, like talking back and stuff. And it, I should, it's the most obvious crap in the world, but it still got me in such a big way, like playing this game, having a fine time. And then being on the Batman stage and they start playing the Batman theme from 1989, like the Danny Elfman theme. I was like, oh, I love this song so much. I didn't even consider that they can actually use all of this Warner Brothers music in here as well. Um, they got so you. They got me. Uh, yeah, I'm curious to see how it uh, how it evolves over time um looking into the team a little bit i was a it's a new team they're called player first games um and there's a lot of folks like the core of it seems to be uh former riot folks and some former god of war talent as well uh, but the one that was interesting to me is one person seemed like god that guy looks so familiar who is he and it turns out the art director is the same art director uh, for the disney, uh, disney infinity series and so we interviewed him while visiting that studio in salt lake city but it's like oh that's that's why those characters look good and also kind of look like they could be Disney Infinity figures, even though it's a different universe, you know, but it's a, it's got a good look to it overall. But yeah, uh, July 22 for that open beta for that thing. Um, hey, on the free to play front, Leo, 
Did you check out Roller Champions at all? Yeah, I played a couple matches. Hey, look at that! Uh, yeah, Mr. Mr. Writer's Republic, uh, the new Ubisoft sports game. Figured I had to get a hot take from you. Uh, this is the free-to-play roller derby game that is out now. I mean, it was revealed at E3 2019. Like, it is wild how this thing has slowly been going through some development challenges, or maybe just COVID naturally has slowed things down a bit. But yes, Joe, you're thinking. What Was this the one that had a demo released when yep. it... Yep. What, as soon as it was announced? Okay. Yep, you can go watch that new gameplay today with Jeffum playing Roller Champions back at Game Informer. <laughs> uh, Leo, what did you think of this thing? Um, It's it's not bad. It's, yep. it's troubling how much they're trying to embarrass me for defending Ubisoft games. That's right. I, with, their, with their continued sense of style. I feel like this announcer in this game, I don't know how you get the Riders Republic universal feedback of the characters are too annoying. And then you put this announcer in this game, who I'm sure every focus group was 100% so annoyed by this fucking guy. I am 100% with you. Like, I started playing this game, and I was like, what? why put an obnoxious announcer in your game? Is anybody excited about, like, this over-the-top Greg Proop-style announcer? Who's giving a thumbs up to that? Is, is this like just an age thing? Like, do you think that like kids are really into that? I played with a child and they actually uh, gouged their ears out uh, for the first <laughs> time. It's new unprecedented territory. I don't know. Maybe, but I we can't could imagine. We do a perfect impression of it and nobody would believe us. They'd say that do they're it, doing do it, it over the top. Yes. Here's the count in they give you yeah. for when the ball is about to be dropped. Five, four, <laughs> three, two, <laughs> it's memorable. Like, has there ever been a, a obnoxious announcer that you enjoyed in a game? Announcers, I period. I like the Smash announcer. That's a good He's point. A little Damn it. Yeah, I guess so. I don't know. He gets a pass. You're right. Somehow he's cool. Because the obnoxious, we just say they're not obnoxious because we like them. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That the Pokemon Stadium announcer, he's classic. Oh, is he down and out? I mean, these are just iconic lines. He, he nails it. Um, but Leo, I, I'm with you. I played a couple of matches myself and said, this is not bad. I'm not excited about it right now. But I, if I had a group of three friends playing this for free, um, I think the yeah. core components of roller derby are fun enough where I think I think we get into a little bit. The team play is fun. The passing and the sheer just rolling around the rink. You're pumping as you go down and kind of jumping and strategically. It almost feels like a, what was that mobile game? Where it's Tiny just wings. a bird sliding. Tiny wings. Tiny wings, that's right. And you press the button to make them descend and hit the, ang- the hill yep. at the right angle. It feels like that sometimes, because that's how you get like the most optimal speed. Yeah, that and kind of combined with a thrill for me was, you know, in racing games, Joe, you seem like one of these weirdos that would do this all the time, where if you're losing, you'll be like, well, screw you. I'm going to turn around on this track and then just try and ram the oncoming cars. That yeah, is, that's absolutely me. Yeah. Okay, that is this game, right? Because you're going around this ring. It's like, okay, they're too far ahead of me. Now, if I turn around, I can actually just tackle these guys with the ball. Uh, it, it works out well. Uh, the tackling feels good. There's some silly stuff that can happen. It, it's an interesting development, and I'm curious to hear Ubisoft's perspective on this because it definitely just seems like it's taking cues from Rocket League. And back when this game started development, I'm sure they looked at Rocket League and said, oh, what's something that we could do that's kind of like a Rocket League type thing that no one's really touched before? Like, oh, roller derby. That sounds great. Let's build out this over-the-top roller derby game. 
And then it took a long time, and they finally did it. And then you play it and say, yeah, this is kind of like an over-the-top roller derby game. I, I don't think it's going to be the next sensation sweep in the country, but they did it. It's here. And they definitely want that Rocket League depth. Like, you complete the tutorial, which seems pretty straightforward, and then it says... By the way, here's 400 special moves that are combinations of different <laughs> buttons. Right. Congrats, the, control, the tutorial's done. I feel like there is probably stuff to dig in there. And I imagine a really well-coordinated team with, like, you can grapple your teammate to pull ahead and, like, passing around other people is really important and not getting the ball intercepted. Like, a really well-oiled team would probably be cool to watch. Yeah. Uh, Leo, what are the odds that you go back and play more Roller Champions? I would need a friend to be somewhat yep. interested in it. Yep. If, if I would. for some reason a friend reached out and said, I'd really like to play <laughs> Roller Champions, I would go well, back. That's the only situation. Before we move on, Kelsey yeah. and Joe, I'd like you to guess what the paid currency is. What do you get in game for putting in money? <sighs> roller Derby adjacent. Right. Hmm. Well, this, this requires me to know Roller Derby terms. <laughs> no, I, I assure you it does not. <laughs> uh, uh, skaties. Simpler, okay. think dumber, think dumber. <laughs> derbs? <laughs> <laughs> That's right, the dirty derbs. <laughs> They're wheels. Oh no! You buy like okay. five hundred wheels and spend them in the <laughs> in the shop. Just, just imagining like that working in a roller rink. Like, look, I, yeah. you guys. Wheels are a big part of this. I got a bunch of these wheels. Maybe we can make a train here. It's more like a prehistoric barter system, right? Like, hey, you got any fire twigs? I got some wheels. Wheels are worth their weight in gold. (laughs) This new invention. You got 500 of them? Um, You can make a thousand roller skates out of these. (laughs) Yeah, Ubisoft is in such a weird place right now. I'm curious to see. Like, their free-to-play stuff, you know, Hyperscape is shut down. They have a new free-to-play game that they say isn't a Battle Royale, but inspired by a Battle Royale called Project Q that was leaked, and then they confirmed. So I'm curious to learn more about that. Um, and X-Defiant, the new right. Division is free-to-play, and that Ghost Recon Battle Royales can be free-to-play. Right, right. They're going big on free-to-play. Yeah. Whatever Whatever happened to their like laser tag game that they announced at E3 one year? Going back to oh, E3. Oh, God, stuff. way back in the day? Yeah, it was like during during one of their press conferences, they announced some kind of laser tag thing. And like they had I was I was at this presentation where they had people running around in the like in the auditorium, kind of like fake laser tagging each other. Right. It looks like it was E3 2010. Um, Yeah, we got Joel McHale announcing it. Yeah, you forget, Joe, that was that was like the Elden Ring of its day. If you recall, yeah, yeah. when Ubisoft laser tag came out. Big um, deal. Yeah. Also, just a weird uh, footnote with Ubisoft recently is. They have this game called The Settlers, which is an old German-developed game um, from, like, the early 90s on PC. And they had, like, hey, here's the new version. It's a reboot of The Settlers. And they released a closed beta of it. Or maybe it was alpha. And I got in and was playing it. And it's like, oh, it seems like a cool city builder type thing. Um, And now they just announced, actually, we're not going to release that. (laughs) It was basically done, but it's now indefinitely delayed. Goodbye. Um, So maybe it'll come back at some point. But Ubisoft just, they've been bizarre recently. Um, yeah. Roller Champions, everybody. Let us know if you like it, please. Um, hey, Leo, do you know how this whole thing operates? Uh, uh Patreon? That's right, everybody. Very smart. Leo, when did you get so I freaking smart, man? 
I'm impressed. Uh, Patreon.com slash minmax with two wins, everybody. Jump in at any tier you want. Find something you like. I promise you will. You can double the amount of minmax podcasts you listen to every single week by supporting us at that $5 tier and getting that feed in your favorite podcast app. And please help support people that support us like uh, I am 8-Bit. Here's why they're cool. There's a lot of reasons that you could run down. Um, but the fact that like, hey, um, we're going to support you in a big way. Um, and then also all you have to do is just mention the fact that the Muppet vo- movie vinyl soundtrack is available in our store. So if you are interested in the Muppet movie vinyl soundtrack, you can go to I'm 8-Bit's wonderful online store. It's reimagined for the first time in over 40 years. Uh, one of the vinyl discs is Kermit Green. The other one is Miss Piggy Pink, of course, <laughs> featuring timeless classics like Rainbow Connection and Moving Right Along. Joe, you seem like a Muppets guy. What? Wait, is that an insult? That's right. You seem like a Muppet. (laughs) (laughs) A guy would be on Muppets. That's right. I do enjoy the Muppets, but I'm cute. Now I'm a little offended. No, you're cool if you like the Muppets. Wondering what about me projects like that. Well, you relax. We're trying to plug I'm 8-Bit, not get into your psychological (laughs) drama. Anyways, go to their wonderful online store. You can use the promo code mayonnaise for 10% off everything under $100 in their online store. Check out the link below. And because they're very generous, they ship out a prize each and every week to whoever submits the best question to the MinMax Show podcast over on Patreon. This week, that person wins the Disco Elysium vinyl soundtrack three album soundtrack so check it out everybody in their online store or just write in you can win something like it all right so everybody remember the best questions because we got to give them something good uh michael barry writes in and asks is there any way to actually recover during a flubbed e3 stage presence after seeing plenty of hardcore cringe moments like mr caffeine to konami 2010 i struggle to think of a way to correct the course of a failing stage show like the announcements are falling flat or the the banter of the hosts is not banter uh, people are having I mean tech issues I mean even Miyamoto with Skyward Sword right when that was all falling apart um I don't think there's a great you just way to... immediately like came out and we're like wow we're really blowing this yeah <laughs> terrible e3 oh my god guys we're so embarrassed like i think that would lessen the blow a little bit people would yeah. be like okay they're self-aware instead of but they try and like give a very subtle version of that where they go live demo folks live demo <laughs> and then try and quickly move on yeah no like go full on be like we're blowing this right now. yeah this acknowledge is, this yes. will be up on on reddit we're, we're gonna see all these clips like this but, is bad but not yeah. laugh too hard at yourself it's a fine delicate balance but like acknowledge the obvious is kind of the yeah. big thing right like you know i always think back to <laughs> fun politics for everybody like marco rubio giving that speech and then he just like quickly tried to like sip that water and he just looked like an insane gerbil and tried to put it back down real quick and everybody made fun of him for the water and all that stuff. But it's like if he just would have calmly opened that bottle of water and took 20 seconds to take a sip, no one would ever acknowledge it. But just acknowledge the obvious thing of what's happening here. We'd call him long water boy. <laughs> uh, I totally agree because coming up uh, doing open mics before I became a cohort, just getting my start doing open mics. Yeah. The biggest laughs anyone got every night I did it was after one of their worst jokes that didn't get laughs, their smart uh, dismount from it. Yes. Which was like, yeah, well, oh, you love that one. Oh, I guess that one's really good. You know, that kind of stuff. The audience ate that up. That's what you have to do. Yeah, I think to have a joke about how it's going bad. Smart. And as long as I think you can recover from like if it's technical issues like that. I think it's a lot easier to recover from if it's just like 
like Mr. Caffeine. Right. There's no way. There's no way that anyone from Ubisoft could have come out there and be like, well, Mr. Caffeine, this guy sure sucks. Let's change course mid like mid presentation. <laughs> change here, your right? personality. Oh, should have though. That would have been <laughs> hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. Like, so, like really right? miscalculated that guy. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that yeah, I like that. I guess I feel like from from a corporate sense, there's no way to acknowledge like a failure of messaging that catastrophic. So you just have to worry about like, like you can acknowledge that stuff. And I think you can recover after the fact. But I think as the presentation is going on, you almost just have to like grit your teeth and stay the course. Yeah, it's tricky. Do you remember E3 or like Sony's E3 where they showed off the Wonder Book for the first time? And it felt Ugh. like it was like it felt in my mind like 20 minutes of them working with this failing tech to show off like a Harry Potter creature, I guess, moving on a screen thanks to Wonder yeah. Book. <laughs> yeah. Or the another Sony press conference is when they spent like it felt like 10 minutes talking about Powers Season 1. <laughs> 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 yeah, like, and at some point, I mean, the the response to that is like, okay, like enthusiast gaming, like publication, you're not our only audience. We're right. here to like talk to some other people. But I feel like that audience is not like dutifully watching an E3 presentation. Yeah, I mean, know? it's so wild. We, uh, for initial plus, we've been going back um, on Twitch and on YouTube and watching old E3 press conferences and we did playstation 2015 but we just did nintendo 2008 which is the dj ravi drums year of course iconic (laughs) it's no good but it's so amazing to go back and watch old press conferences even i mean not that long ago and just how dry they are and bizarre it is to see people just going through powerpoint presentations of graphs and like explicitly with nintendo 2008 like showing the graphs of how much the other consoles suck and how much they're failing in the sales compared to like the DS and the Wii. And it's just amazing. Like It seems like from some other era, the idea of like calling out other publishers and, you know, console sellers specifically and being like, yeah, look how bad they are compared to us. That's why retailers, you should focus on us. It's just, it's shifted so much. Um, Mick Manga writes in and says, hey, uh, Hunter Hunter Cross Hunter Manga is coming back after a three-year hiatus. Most fans have begun to feel it would never return. So my question is, do you all have a game series that would make you really excited if it finally returned? It's E3 season, so anything is possible. <laughs> my my big thing here is like the my standby answer to this question for the last decade is no longer viable cuz for me it was Valkyrie profile for so long. And mm. now and That's now right. the Valkyrie Elysium announcement, it's like it is coming back. So then I have to go I have to go back to the well of my other like like my other uh long shots probably not going to happen like i would love to see a dragon's dogma too i that's think my, that's i think that's, that's doable i could see them doing that yeah mm-hmm. and we just throw out the obvious like f0 pikmin mm-hmm. that kind of thing what yeah. about you Kelsey? like which which one of those uh f0 would... for sure i mean really? i really liked um i i played a lot of the uh gamecube one and the two Game Boy Advance ones, actually. Huh. I don't know. Yeah, I'm curious to see what it's they, probably they do at this point. It's like it's it seems like it's clearly not coming back at this point. There could be like a really like a throwback reboot at some point, maybe. But like it just it just doesn't. I don't know. That doesn't seem to be something they they care about at all anymore. 
Yeah. I don't know. I felt that way about Metroid for so long too, though. And then they're like announcing a new Metroid Prime. They did the the 2D Metroids again. So it's like, I feel like F-Zero is within the realm of possibility. I hope it is. And especially kind of closer to Mario Kart, right? As far as they have their racer the already. Yeah, but you look at the sales of Mario Kart and maybe that's nudging somebody in the direction of like, we could try another racing game. I mean, there's that big rumor about like Star Fox Grand Prix that Retro is supposedly working on, but I think that was all nonsense. I don't know for sure, but it seemed to be leaning that way. But it would be a smart move of, well, we have this one game that sold 400 million copies or whatever Mario Kart 8 Deluxe is at at this point, like try and make something like it. Um, Yeah, I mean, Mega Man Legends 3, I guess would probably be a big one for me if they ever brought that back in some way. Although... Inafune is too busy doing NFTs now, I guess. So what are you going to do? NFTs. That's right. Inf- yeah. Uh, Splinter Cell, <laughs> for me, will always be the answer. Although I do like in Sniper Elite, you can shoot out lights. I love Hitman as my stealth game, but you can't shoot out lights. It doesn't do anything. But in Sniper Elite, you shoot out the lights, and you can see the little ring around you, and the radar gets smaller because the vision of the enemies, they can't see you as well because you made it darker. Nice. Do you feel like people even remember that they announced that they were going to remake Splinter Cell? I feel like that was... I was just I about to say forgot. that. I was like, wait a sec. I thought it was coming back. <laughs> it's, I certainly forgot right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a weird distant memory. I feel like that was the go-to for everyone to scream, bring back Splinter Cell. And they said, okay, we're going to do it. And everyone just said, good, for a day. And then never brought it up again. And then I said, bring back Splinter Cell. <laughs> That's right. The yeah. podcast again. That's right. Hey, everyone makes mistakes. Uh, Victor Pham writes and it says, is it possible to surprise us with a megaton announcement anymore? It feels like the huge moments like the Resident Evil 7 reveal or Shenmue 3 have already done... So it's been diminishing returns in terms of a shock factor. Yeah. Could they have a megaton anymore? Could anybody do a megaton? Oh, yeah. so the, the the question being like, not, not is it possible from a like reporting perspective, like not get these things leaked, but more like, are there any megatons left? Ooh, are there any lo- like, mo- are there any moonshots left? I'm not There's sure. Gotta be. There's got to be like dozens, right? Like we can't just be like all video games have been made at this point. Like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I think it's more. Well, I think, yeah, Mother 3 would probably be top of that heap, right? For for the thing that everybody wants or certain people want really badly. But I think they're also talking about the idea of things leaking or whatever and like having a, a shock, shocking moment. Like I'm trying to think of the last one that really hit hard for just like, wow. And I think it was probably 2019 for um the game awards when they just dropped the next generation of xbox in that video um i, I don't think anybody saw that coming it's like yeah we'll just show the console we'll show everything let's do it right here and right now I, that was probably the last one that hit me really hard i think breath of the wild too did we see that coming that trailer um uh, i think everyone knew it was going to happen though like it's like yeah. this game did yeah. so well that inevitably there will be a breath of the wild too right that's true uh, I, I feel like Pokemon Legends Arceus was that for a little Ooh, bit. Oh, yes, yes. It's like, no, I certainly didn't expect Pokemon to ever open itself up in that direction. Like, the, they've never shown any inclination that that's, like, a direction they wanted to explore. So totally. that came out of nowhere for me. Yeah. By the mm-hmm. way, I remember when they announced Violet and Scarlet were coming out this year. There's a lot of people like, eh. It's too close to Arceus. I don't know. Now it feels like I played Arceus five years ago and I'm so hungry for another game like that because I love that game. Uh, Hey, Kelsey, we should talk about that game for like uh, eight hours or something. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll let's do that. Okay, cool. Uh, what so, if they brought back Splinter Cell? That'd be crazy. <laughs> that man, oh, that would be crazy. Oh, Chrono uh, Chrono series. That yep. that needs to come back. Sorry, yep. I forgot about that. That's last it. question. That's okay. it. Uh, by the way, Joe, I know we talked about it in the deepest dive on Chrono Cross. Uh, mm-hmm. That interview that was being built up for a long time. Uh, yep. It's not going to happen. We're not going to get that. Oh, bummer. It was it was so many emails and they look so promising. And it's like, eh, it turns out he didn't want to. I was like, oh, why are you tell me now? <laughs> oh. No one well, wants you to do something. You tried. I tried. You tried. Um, Joe Garifo wrote in and says, Howdy, MinMaxers. Do you all consider yourselves to be a video game nerd, dorks, or geeks? Great question, Joe. Very important question. Nerd, dorks, or geeks? I consider myself in general, even outside of video games, to be a dork over everything. Same. Same. I think for video games in particular, I might be a nerd, Mm. but I think I am a dork in general. Okay. Mm. Interesting. So I've always been called a nerd, so that's what I think I need to identify with. Have you genuinely been called a nerd as an insult in your oh, life? Oh, yeah. Really? Oh, <laughs> constantly. Yeah. I, I'm just, I don't know if I ever have like a sincere, <laughs> like, F you attack calling me a nerd. I think I was too tall to be bullied, so I kind of got a pass. <laughs> What's <laughs> that like? Oh, it's great. You all should try it. Just buy stilts. You'll be living high on the hog. No I one tried like, to, like, take you down as the tall guy as a way, like, prison rules, you know? Like, if I <laughs> defeat the tall guy. Yeah, well, sure, I was shanked in a bathroom, <laughs> but that's middle school. What are you going to do? I don't know. Yeah, I think I think just dork sums it up pretty well. I think dork, dork is like a nerd who, in my mind, is also, like, physically inept. <laughs> you know, like, I feel like I move like a dork, <laughs> so therefore I, I become a dork. I think of Dork as like a dumb nerd. I feel like that's why I haven't been called a nerd. It's because there's an assumed level of intelligence, whether or not I you see. respect it. I see, I see. And geek. What's the deal with those geeks? Yeah, well. Geek is geek is like dweeb. It's like it's just total undesirable, I think. <laughs> right? Like well, you don't want to be a geek. You don't want to be a dweeb. Whereas like I have no problem being a dork or a nerd. Right, right. Yeah. Mm. I think geek, geek is has- so out of fashion. Yeah, I I think geek has a lot more to do with like like your personality and like social presentation, and maybe nerd and dork have more to do with like your interests. Dork, mm. social thing, but dork is like endearing in my mind. Like an, yeah. a dork is like ch- like charmingly nerdy, or you know what I mean. And and geek is like it's not charming. It's just like you that you don't want to be you don't want to be a geek. Right, right. That's I, how I read it. I don't know if that's like a universal understanding of those words. Though. Unless right. you, as a listener or viewer, consider yourself a geek, in which case you're beautiful and we respect you and thank you for listening to this very geeky podcast. But but in all other ways, we can't even imagine being a geek. Uh, Christian Feliciano writes in and says, "Hey CLCs, uh, what's the biggest mis- misconception about your job?" As an animator slash VFX artist, it irks me when people equate mocap with higher quality animation, when it's almost always a cost-saving measure. Animating by hand always yields better results, but it's very expensive. As you've mentioned before, Naughty Dog animates their faces by hand, and they're some of the best in the biz. Yeah, that distinction always drove me nuts. Although I was corrected last time I mentioned it, because I think for Last of Us Part Two, I think they switched to facial mocap. Um, I believe that's the case. But yeah, biggest misconception about your job. Um, we all don't really have jobs except for you, Kelsey. <laughs> so 
Uh, yeah, I have, I mean, two separate answers to this because I, I do two things. I, um, you know, work for the Video Game History Foundation and then I also run a couple of retro game stores. And I think for for the game stores, it's a lot of like, so you just play games and like right. you you get to just, you know, take home all of the video games and they belong to you. And it's like, well, I mean, technically I could, but like this is, it's a business. Like it's the same, I run a retail business. So, like, everything that applies to the rules of, like, making a profitable clothing store or a profitable, like, I don't know, knickknack store or whatever. It's just, like, that's that's what the job is. It's, like, you know, inventory and, you know, payroll and, and <laughs> that sort of thing. Um, and, uh, I mean, don't get me wrong, I love it, but, like, it's not... It's not um, I, don't, I didn't, like, turn on the lights in a store and then just sit down and play video games all day. Right, <laughs> you know? totally. Um, and then with the foundation, I mean, it really... I don't think anyone knows what I do. Like, it's very... I think a lot of people have ideas that... It's a lot of things, and I think some people will, like, find one thing and they're like, that's the job. So, like, one thing I hear a lot is that, like, what I must do all day is basically just, like unearth dusty prototypes and like you know get out the the soldering iron and like you know repair them so that i can like read them and preserve them for all time and it's like yeah that's like five percent of the job maybe if that <laughs> it, it happens but that's not like um that's not the oh, whole thing still a pretty good percentage five percent <laughs> yeah, sure. yeah well it, it's more of the like Everything that leads up to that moment is is more of the job where it's like, um, and that's just, I mean that's just prototypes. That's not tends to not be the more exciting stuff. Honestly, the the really the cool meat of the stuff is like when you find development documents and um, you know videos and and that sort of thing. But uh, yeah, you know I get a lot of emails of people who and, and I totally get it. Who like they're like, how do I get a job here? And I'm like, well, we don't have money, but uh, <laughs> you know what what do you want to do? And a lot of times they're just like, well, I really like history. And I'm like, that's great. But like, it's not a job to really like history and like know things. My job <laughs> isn't to like, just know the things that one could Google. Unless you could be a talking head on history channel. Sure. Yeah. I mean, pay that's me to around. do that by all means. Um, yeah. So I don't know. I like, it's all, I'm I'm thrilled that so many people are like actually interested in this because when I first started doing this, I was like, I struggled to explain it to people um, in like a, you know, it, it was like, I have to convince people that this is worth talking about, that like it's worth <laughs> it to preserve video game history and like start from the very beginning. But I feel like we're hitting a point now where people are like, no, no, we get that. Like, yeah, totally. It needs to be preserved, but we we got it. Um but I don't know that, uh, like, the day-to-day -day is very clear to most people. So I don't know. Maybe I should just just do a podcast at some point where I just talk about what my average week is because it, it can be all over the place. Please do. I think that'd be a fascinating thing. <laughs> um, we have a network for you if you want to just uh, throw a podcast okay, out. Yeah, please. Oh, what is it? What's uh, the Min Max, it's called. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You is might that one N? I honestly forget. It's really complicated. <laughs> I was just thinking, like, it's you're so lucky to have a job that has the potential of literally unearthing treasures. Like how many careers are there out there where there's just a constant hunt and a value assigned to what you're unearthing? You know, it's not like if you're a trucker that's like, 
I found this sweet new shortcut. Like, what, that's the equivalent? I don't even know what it would be. But like, your job is literally like, you get to have those moments probably a couple times a year. It's like, oh my God, I can't believe what we found. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's true. That's a very good perspective for me on days that I'm, uh, <laughs> days that I'm frustrated. It's like, no, I, I do have like, one of the coolest jobs in the world, actually. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, Ryan McGinnis writes in, this goes in a different place than you think it's going to go, everybody. Uh, but Ryan writes in and says, I recently was at a bachelor party. Um, there's plenty of drinks and merriment. Uh, the next morning, Joe, how would you pronounce that? Mer- merriment? Merriment? I'd say merriment. Merriment? Merriment. Uh, the next morning, uh, once we all were awake, we were chatting about the night before, and I happened to eat a banana. A few minutes go by and I was still hungry, so I ate a second banana. You would have thought I was devouring a baby with the way everybody looked at me. They all agreed that eating multiple bananas in a row is weird. (laughs) Once I got home, I asked around. Most people agreed. They only eat one banana. Some admitted to eating two, but no one would dare eat three. My question is, how many bananas can you eat in one sitting before you're some kind of freak? This is a great question, Ryan. Thank you for writing it. I've 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 gone two banana. I bet I've gone three banana in my life. I definitely, with age, I've gotten self-conscious about the second banana because it's a weird food to like gorge on. Whereas if you had like a a box of Cheez Its, you could eat three fourths of that box and it'd be socially acceptable. I feel like, but for some reason, two bananas, you feel like a weirdo. Why do we all find it weird? Assuming we all do, because is it the problem that it's like that's it's an entire contained snack and you're just repeating the entire thing because like a box of cheese it's you know any handful is not necessarily the full snack right like you have a whole box to explore but a banana it's like you've chosen the snack you're consuming the entirety of the snack and then you're like i need and I need there's, a second serving of this there's entire something, you're thing. right there's something about the process of it it's the, it, it feels like it's in the same wheelhouse as in like oh i i kind of want a quick snack so i'm gonna make myself a quesadilla in the oven and uh, or on the what do you do whatever you make yourself a quesadilla and you eat it and it's like that was really good i think we've all, all had those situations where it's like that was really good i'm gonna go and make another one and like going through the preparation process of making a second that feels weird too and i feel like a banana is the lowest end of that effort spectrum but it still applies as like you're doing the effort twice and it's weird to do it For me, I think a lot of it has to do, though I agree, I agree with all that, but I think that there's a linked element there that is just like the general appeal of bananas. Like Cheez-Its and and quesadillas are delicious. Bananas are like an obligation snack in some way. What are you talking about? Okay, okay. You're going to besmirch a banana (laughs) on this podcast? (laughs) I I enjoy bananas. All right. One at a time. But it's like, I, I have never finished a banana and been like, mmm, that was good. That hits the spot. Give me another banana. That's the story of my life. No. I think, no, I think there's something to that. It's not like, it's not that it's a bad snack. It's a good snack. But it's not a snack that like anyone's going to be like, oh my God. <laughs> like, Have you ever seen a monkey? That was the best snack of my life. Are you telling these <laughs> monkeys they're wrong? I would go as far as to say I love bananas, but yeah, yeah I would never have, I've never have had the urge to have a second one. What no. about, what about the relative with the orange? Would you peel a two second orange? Two oranges is weird too. Two oranges is weird. Yeah. 
to me. I don't know. Does, does everyone feel the same about that? Two apples is weird. Yeah, little too. cuties absolutely have two of those. Little cuties are different. That's, yeah. Those are por- smaller portions. But if we're talking about stuff you unwrap and it being a process, I don't think it's that far off. But it's expected that you might have more than one because it's a small snack. Is that fair? Hmm. I think that is true, but I think we need to investigate why as a society. <laughs> yeah, figure out the fruits that you can't. Okay, grapes are good. You have as many well, grapes right. as you want. There's no some one grapes. is ever like, oh, I've had one grape. I'm done with this snack. That is was it, the whole But snack. any fruit north of a grape, it's one <laughs> one and done. Berries? You're not going to have just one cherry. You're not going to have just one strawberry. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Of course. Of like, course. There's plenty of these. <laughs> Peaches? You're good with one peach. No, yeah, you're not going to have two peaches. Can't do that. Oh, man. I, cutie, I think is it. I would eat, I would eat like millions three of them? peaches at once <laughs> back when I could. I'm allergic to peaches now, which sucks. What? But, yeah. Oh. <laughs> like parasite. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, hey, Craig Gilmore writes in and asks, okay, real fast. What's y'all's favorite bridge level in a video game? I personally always loved the one in Half-Life 2, slowly working your way across the exposed beams, avoiding barnacles and the like. What about you, crazy cats? Bridge levels. It's not a level, but Ooh. I love the encounter on the bridge in Metal Gear Solid 3 after you finish oh, of that. Course, first, of course, of course. That virtuous mission when yeah. it's like naked naked snake and the boss and you find out that the, you know, what the boss is really doing there. Hell yeah. yeah. Oh, of course, that's that's the right bridge scene. I was really racking my brain trying to think of a bridge scene. I couldn't think of it, but absolutely. There's a good one. Chrono Trigger? Chrono Trigger's got a pretty good oh, bridge Oh, fighting scene. the dragon robot yeah. on the bridge? Yeah. yeah. That's true. Um, what'd you yep. say? What'd oh, you say? And... Hang on. Chrono Trigger has two good bridge ones. It's got that. It's got the Robo Dragon, and then it also has the Xenon Bridge, where it's like that right. that double layer skeleton guy. Right, That's right, a good right. One too. Now, Leo, what did you have the nerve to say? I'm sorry. There's a sniper elite bridge level. It's cool because there are snipers looking at you, and of course, you don't want to shoot them with your loud sniper rifle. But there right. are planes flying overhead, and it's denoted clearly in the UI that uh, they make loud noise and you time your sniper shots. You oh, say, oh, plane's good. coming. I'm going to get ready to take out one of these that's snipers good. so you can crawl along the bridge and just go one sniper at a time as the bridges fly dynamically. The planes fly dynamically overhead. That does sound really good. Uh, Slick Nick writes in and says, hello, Min Max. Better quest entry here. Uh, hello. I'm writing about a better quest goal. We gotcha. It might get a little real with this post, so buckle up. Uh, starting on Memorial Day, I will start a motorcycle class. I have never been in control of one, but have rode on one many times as a passenger. It's a three-day class on how to operate and maneuver the motorcycle. The reason I'm doing this is due to the passing of my stepdad. Growing up, he had a Harley, and uh, I would ride all the time with them. In 2020, my mom and sister took the class, and they got to ride together with my brother. Um, so I wanted to be comfortable enough to ride on the anniversary of... My brother passing. Ooh, hang on. Got to ride with my brother in October of last year. He passed from COVID. Oh, boy. This is a long, sad story, but it's all wrapped up in him learning to ride a motorcycle in honor of his family. That's very sweet. I love that. Um, yeah, Tim Turry, he posted this on Twitter, so it's not telling tales out of school, but he did the same thing um, where he picked up riding a motorcycle so he could ride with his dad, um, which is a very sweet uh, notion. Um, but hey, speaking of Better Quest, I remember there was this episode of the podcast we did a while ago where Leo had a Better Quest goal where he said, as God is my witness, I will become a master of impressions um, and I will do them on this uh, that? nationally syndicated podcast. Uh, that was you, Leo. Oh, weird. Yeah. Um, I've been on quite the journey with it. I can certainly talk about that. <laughs> Could you talk about it as Arnold Schwarzenegger or anything? Um... um 
I intentionally picked this because it'd be challenging for me. Right. And I underestimated how challenging it would be. How stupid I would feel practicing impressions <laughs> now al- alone in my house. <laughs> So I, I regret not bringing this up last time. You talked about, you know, open mic and whatnot. I'm sorry to make you do this, but just to set things up, can you do um, that bit you used to do about impressions um, during your comedy routine during the open mic? Oh, yeah. Was, uh, hey, what's up, everybody? You guys like impressions? Yeah, yeah, we like impressions, yeah. yeah. Okay, here's my impression of you guys. Oh, we like impressions. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent, excellent work. Okay, sorry. Now, uh, you've been wandering your house. Which people or characters have been trying to do over there? I can announce the impressions that I'll be ready to do next time I'm on the podcast. (laughs) Oh, come on. But we need, like, just to, you know, put a nice timestamp for where you're at right now in your road to victory. (sighs) (laughs) (laughs) I did a stream the other night that was trying to figure out impressions. Again, throwing myself into the melting pot as far as i know this will be really really hard and embarrassing yeah and that's why i have to do it uh and i came away with the plan to do impressions of kind of the three the three kermits which would be kermit the frog right henchman 24 from the venture brothers and jordan peterson all of whom have kind of a Kermit affect to their voice, especially Kermit. Okay. Um, can we just hear a dabble? Just a dabble of the Kermit. Of, of Muppet Kermit. <clears throat> Miss Piggy! It's me, Kermit! What are you That's great. That's great. That's pretty good, Kermit's yeah. an easy one, and then I want to, you know, be able to branch off from there. Okay. And show that I can master the nuances of different Kermity voices. That's kind of the goal. And Yoda, Kermit adjacent, how do you feel about that? As in He's the, certainly in the Kermit, Kermit adjacent, but yeah. also maybe a little uh, bass for me. Oh! <laughs> All right. Stick to sophistication. There, That's right. We'll see how right. it goes. Uh, I, I, went to go see, uh, I, I went to go see a show here recently with Steve Martin and Martin Short. What? Performing? Oh my god! Yeah, yeah. and uh, Martin Short does impressions and is quite good at them, but Steve Martin doesn't. And there's there's a funny part in the show where, you know, it, Steve Martin they spend a good time they spend a good bit of the show just like ragging on each other a little yeah, bit, yeah. right? And at one and at one point, Stephen Martin or Steve Martin just goes, you know, I don't really do impressions, or you know, Martin, I know you do, but I don't do them because I don't need to. And he gives him this very sort of pointed look. It was funny. That's right. But Leo yeah. needs to. I think we all agree. Um, yeah, well, you know, he, he's I, committed to it. That's so right. you must. I can, I can just get this whole thing out of the way right now, I think. Oh, okay. Maybe we should just do that. Yeah, I, yeah. I can read backstage pass comments as my iconic characters. Okay. All right. So we've, we've so done Kermit. 24, does anybody know this character from No idea what Brothers? you're talking about. Yes. Yeah. Oh, oh great. Well, I'll be able me. to judge you. Thank you. Please do. <clears throat> so Kelsey's job isn't like being Indiana Jones? Pretty good. Okay. It's, this it's, belongs in a video game history museum. <laughs> okay. It, yeah, it's it's um it's getting pretty close there. I think I think you're like yeah. you're like 85% there, I think, maybe 90%. Like it's I'll it's gladly take that. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, now Jordan Peterson really set this one up. Who is this? 
He's some uh, philosopher guy that appeals to a lot of uh, lost young men. Okay. Uh, and he has a really iconic voice, which is kind of a uh, Kermity, kind of gravelly, kind of Canadian. Well, don't tell us what the voice is. Show us what the voice is, man. Well, it's all been part of my journey is trying to figure out the elements of these voices. Yeah. And that it's really helps like me do them. It's like getting tasting notes for wine. He's letting us know what right. to expect. So when it's when we're swishing it around in our mouths, we understand. <laughs> Exactly. Thank you. Okay. <clears throat> I have no idea if this will be good or not until it comes out of my mouth. Jordan Peterson. <clears throat> what if you pre-peeled your bananas? Would it be as bad to eat multiple? Rice is, rice is great if you're really hungry and want to eat 2,000 of something. Um... Hey, peeling bananas sounds like a crime. We've <laughs> <Now, laughs> all been closer on this podcast than I've gotten them in my personal life. Now, They've Mr. all been pretty much the same voice, I feel like. This is stunning. Mr. Peterson, is there any way I can give you money and follow you to the ends of the earth? Um... Yes. <laughs> wow. <laughs> it's like he's on the podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Leo, uh, congratulations. Stunning, stunning work. <laughs> Truly making yourself better. I will say on this Better Quest journey, it really was a like breaking point to do that stream because it was, you know, humiliating, certainly. Because we were going around trying all these different voices and uh, couldn't really commit to any of them. But I feel like that kind of broke the seal on me feeling so stupid practicing them. I felt like the only safe place to practice impressions was in the car earlier. You know how you sing in the car, but nowhere else. Right. That right, felt right. like. I could have wait till I'm driving by myself to get some good impressions practice in. Right, right, right. But you know, just kind of breaking the seal by really focusing on it, talking about it on stream. I've been more comfortable practicing, uh, and that's how I've gotten so good. And you know, the art to, and really the beauty of all great impressionists is they like being put on the spot with new impressions. So here we go, Leo. You have to choose Kelsey, me, or Joe. Grip it and rip it, dude. Let's hear it. Uh, Kelsey's pointing to herself. Let's I hear. feel like this is more just going to be a, a roast. No, no, you have to do it. <laughs> yeah, you're in person. Oh, I thought it was going to be a suggestion. No, nope, sorry. And you already no, accidentally no, no, no. chose Kelsey, so now you're locked in. Let's hear Leo Vader's classic Kelsey Lewin impersonation. Can I hear you talk one more time? <laughs> uh, yeah, hello. This is me talking. I, I figured the, the real version of this is not that you're going to be able to copy my voice, but that you can essentially roast me by just like <laughs> saying something you think I would say. Uh, hi, I'm Kelsey. My job isn't really cool, but it's also really cool. Wow. <laughs> I'm seeing double Spot two on. Kelsey's. <laughs> ben, did you to... switch Kelsey's audio? I, I must have messed up the dials. What's happening over here? <laughs> if, can we change this to best quest? Is <laughs> <laughs> that fitting? Uh, okay, what do y'all like for question of the week? I like the banana question. I, I like too. the banana question as well. <laughs> yep, All right. that's the winner. Congratulations, Ryan McGinnis, for getting a, one hell of a wild tale from your bachelor party weekend. Congratulations there. Uh, and we will ship you out something nice. Well, I'm ape it, actually, Will. Uh, here we go, though. Something that we call, get a load of this. Hey, everybody. Uh, get a load of this. Uh, Kotaku had a story with the headline, Metal Gear Rising Revengeance is blowing the hell up. Um, and they cited Play Tracker, 
Um, and PlayTracker uh, studied the analytics somehow has all this, and they say, although it is almost 10 years old, Metal Gear Rising Revengeance is seeing numbers it hasn't seen since launch. Concurrent players are up 1,000% peak in achievement activity across all platforms. The cause? Various meme templates featuring characters from the game went viral. Um, and then in Kotaku's story, they quote, say, some in PlayTracker's mentions... Some in PlayTracker's mentions attribute the game's recent popularity to YouTuber Jacob Geller's May 2nd video essay examining Revengeance's enduring and increasing popularity. Totally. So, Revengeance is on the upswing. Hell of a game. <laughs> that game is so delightfully weird. And yeah, Jacob Geller made this YouTube video, and at least in some small way, Leo, you seem to be hinting in a large way. I think it's a large way. I think he got the conversation going again. There's definitely been an undercurrent of people defending that game forever, but yeah. that felt like, you know, that's what happened recently. Yeah. We're to draw conclusions. That's right. That's right. So congratulations, Jacob Geller, uh, for bringing that back from the dead. Um, Joe, do you like Middle Gear Revising Revengeance more or less with passing time? Honestly, I've not gone back to play it since, Ooh, really? since I were... Nope, I've not gone back to play it since I reviewed it, and I was on the low end of the reviews for that one. I didn't especially care for Revengeance. I think you what? give it. Do you remember? Uh, I don't. My guess is like seven-ish. Yeah, that sounds right. Was probably my probably where I'd say. I mean, you're yeah. such a big systems guy, and like that parry system. I played the game twice. I love it, but like I don't really understand the ins and outs of the combat. Like, just play it on easy and have a great time. Uh, is my philosophy. You give it a seven seven five, Joe. Oh, okay. Yeah. It, you said it had moderate replay value, so how about you put your money where your mouth is, buddy? <laughs> oh, man. Don't get me going on that replay value bullet. <laughs> uh, anyways, Joe, you got one for a get a load of this? Yeah, get a load of this. I got, uh, for for a birthday a little while ago, I got a nice kitchen mixer, and I've been looking for good recipes that I can use to, like, bake good stuff with it. Um. So I was digging around online trying to find, like, the best chocolate chip cookie recipe. Mm. And those are all, like, if you, if you like me, are like, I really like a good chocolate chip cookie. I want to find one. All of the ones that are, like, best chocolate chip cookie recipe are way too complicated for me. Uh, but I did find a cookie recipe that is not too complicated that I have loved. And this is, like, basically the best cookie I have been able to make at home. Okay. Nice. Uh, and it is called, uh, it's on the site, bonappetit.com. It's called Brown Butter and Toffee Chocolate Chip Cookies. Interesting. There's a link below uh, for everybody if you want all the specifics yeah. of this whole thing. Yeah, so I would I would recommend uh, trying to make those. They're very, very good. Did you great. bring some to share with the class? Or? Yeah, come on, man. Be cool. <laughs> Oh, here, let me, I bet there's a cookie, a cookie emoji I can drop in chat here, right? <laughs> That's right. Uh, Kelsey, you got one? Yeah, uh, get a load of this. Um, Marble Madness. You guys remember the, the game Marble Madness, classic 1984 arcade game? Mark Cerny, uh, yeah. There there was a sequel, and uh, it's something we've we've known about for a really long time, and some collectors have, like, had it for a long time, and um, it is finally online and playable. Really? So, yeah, go check it out. Uh, did you play Is it, it just yet? Marble Madness 2? Marble Madness 2. All right. But this cool. is, it's kind of like a legendary, like, you know, game that we knew existed, but that, like, people weren't sharing kind of thing. It was one of those, like, ah, you know, 
stop porting kind of things that uh, I, th- I think for like a good 15 years or more wow, <laughs> people have awesome. been mad about. So it's over. You can go play it now. Awesome. I've never played Marvel Madness. I need to at some point or now number two. Um, that's sweet. Uh, Leo, you got one? Get a load of this excuse to talk about Sniper Elite again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> my <laughs> my uh, get a load of this for this week is going in the Discord, so it's behind the paywall. Uh, but we can still post a link to that exact post, which is a short little clip of me killing an invader in Sniper Elite with a sticky grenade from across the map predicting where he was going to run to. It's like a one in a million throw that I've never had in my life before. And I was so glad my capture stuff was on. I love it. That's awesome. Uh, by the way, for people watching the video version, Joe, you now have a cookie in front of you. So you just want to pretend you're chewing in front of you. It'll be perfect. Um, oh, man, <laughs> that's good cookie eating. Uh, hey, get a load of this uh, from the community. Uh, Nick from Atlanta posted this tweet in the Discord from Matt Piscatella, master of all things video game numbers and sales. Um, and he had a tweet where he said, here are the top 10 most played games of quarter one 2022 in the U.S. ranked by year of initial release. Half of the top 10 weren't launched this decade. So for the top 10 most played games, quarter one, 2022, uh, Elden Ring ranked 20th. Ahead of it were games like Rocket League, World of Warcraft, and Skyrim. So I love the idea of like, we're always focused on the here and now, but what are actually people playing by and large? It turns out the answer is Minecraft, Grand Theft Auto V, The Sims 4, Fortnite, Among Us, Animal Crossing, New Horizons, Call of Duty Warzone, Madden NFL 22, Call of Duty Vanguard, and NBA 2K22. So nice just to keep things in perspective that, yeah, you just, nobody can ever dethrone Minecraft and they probably should stop trying. Um... (laughs) Hey, that's it for this episode of the podcast. Thanks so much, everybody, for watching or listening. We appreciate it. Thanks to everybody watching us live at the Backstage Pass tier. That's the $10 tier. You get to vote on thumbnails. You get to vote on headlines. Uh, you get to vote on New Show Plus every week to seal our fate for choosing weird shows. And you get to watch all these shows live. And if you can't tune in live when we record them on Wednesdays, uh, you can also watch the archive, fully unedited. You get to see what Joe's like when the cameras aren't rolling and it's... Not pretty, everybody. So you can jump up and let us know what you think. Um, let's see. For plugs, fun stuff we have. Uh, Party Chat, our Patreon-exclusive podcast. Uh, this week, Jeff and I talked to the community, took community calls, and we talked about George Carlin, the new documentary on HBO, which is interesting if you're into the history of comedy. Um, we talked about Death Stranding 2, and it looks like how that's coming up soon. We talked about the new Mission Impossible trailer. Um, and then in the future, on Friday... We have a bonus podcast with Charles McGregor, the developer of Hyperdot, um, and Brian Vohr, and uh, it's all of us unpacking Reggie fils new book. So we kind of share all the highlights about that. So that's going to be on our YouTube channel, and then if you're a $5 supporter on Patreon, it'll be available as a podcast as well. Kelsey, I assume you've read that? Not yet, actually. I okay. have it, but just haven't gotten around to it yet. There's some interesting tidbits in there. You kind of yeah, wish oh, it was five times as long as it is, but uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting enough. Um, then next week... Um, is going to be an interesting one. We're going to have the podcast. We're going to be trying to predict what the biggest E3, quote-unquote, summer game reveals are going to be for this year. Um, But then also we have an interview coming up on Monday with a paleontologist. It's kind of in preparation for Jurassic World Dominion. So it's very fun to talk to uh, Professor Dr. David Hone about dinosaurs. And I've always wanted to talk to somebody about dinosaurs in a big, bad way. So hope you all enjoy that on YouTube and available as a podcast again for the $5 supporters. And then also on Friday next week, we're releasing 
a commentary track for Jurassic Park 1. It's Leo Vader and Brian Vore and I recorded that and had a great time. It's my favorite movie of all time, so it's a lot of rambling in a very, um, I would say, geeky way. Um, but again, that's going to be available as a Patreon-exclusive thing for $5 supporters. So if you want to jump in now, that will pop up in your podcast feed uh, next Friday. And very listenable without watching the movie alongside. Yeah, for sure. That. For sure. Cool. All right. Uh, thank you all for being here. Kelsey, anything you want to plug? Uh, I've got a podcast. It's called the Video Game History Hour. If you want to learn some video game history stuff. Oh, yeah. It's good stuff. Um, yeah. I was just listening today to the episode about Mario Paint, uh, Mario Paint Artist, the, the sequel, I guess, and the history there, which is fascinating. It is. That's right. Uh, so check that out on your favorite podcast app as well. Um, and thank you to our $50 supporters, the game champions. They have chosen. They could choose any game under the sun, Joe, and they chose these games. Patrick Polk chose, again, Super Puzzle Fighter 2 X for Matching Service, which is the name of Super Puzzle Fighter 2 on the Dreamcast in Japan, which he claims is the greatest version of that game. Um, also, Spider-Dan chose Illusion of Gaia. They're the official champion of Illusion of Gaia. Great choice. You can choose any game under the sun at that $50 tier. We'll tweet it out. You'll be in the description for every MinMax video, and then you'll be in the running for the game championship where we make content with whoever wins that whole series of polls for the next big batch. And for example, somebody said, I want to champion Persona 5 Royal, and then they won the whole thing, and then Joe and Kelsey and Anna recorded a whole bonus podcast with them. So you can join them on a podcast if you want, uh, or us, or whoever knows your game best. All right, that's it. This episode's gone on too long. Thank you so much for being here, everybody. We'll see you next time. Be good, have fun, let's go. Let's go.